I I miss I miss um uh, oh boy, what was it? Uh, car talk. I don't know why I had a hard time pulling it. Oh up, man, car I was talk gonna, is I was going to attempt this a bit of slapstick humor from those guys, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I <laughs> yeah, yes. like oh they they'd hate to be on air with us, but anyway, yeah, um, you've wasted yeah, right. a perfectly good hour. <laughs> <laughs> they've wasted a perfectly good three and a half hours oh my gosh uh, holy crap us at this point yeah oh, this boy. was this one's been a doozy so welcome back to the aviation rc news podcast you found us my name is matt and i'm joe we're here to be with you in your adventure to RC Airborne Proficiency. So buckle in, let's take off. All right, we're here with episode five, Motors and ESCs. Um, we're we're going to try to cover the powertrain of your airplane system as best we can. But before we do that, we're going to hop over and talk about what we've been busy with. Uh, it has been a little while since we recorded the last episode. It's been almost a month, but it's also been a time of unprecedented uh, turmoil in the country in a bunch of different ways. Uh, COVID-19 being probably the primary piece here. And we're kind of recording this just at the tail end of the uh, Minnesota riots here in America. And and all the fallout from that in, in here. So yeah, it's, you know, it's been a while. So it's been almost a month, month and a half. Um, we, we could say that in reality, uh, I think the last episode was recorded in February. So, okay. So shame on us and we're sorry. We're going to start there. <laughs> Maybe we should just say, sorry. It's episode five motors and ESCs. <laughs> anyway, no, but so, uh, so, but we've had plenty of time to do a bunch of things, but the world has also been topsy-turvy. You know, like everybody else in the world, pretty much, uh, we've been generally asked to stay home. So uh, I think last time we suggested everybody pull out their X-Acto knives and uh, if you can get out to a Dollar Tree, grab as much foam or building supplies that you, as you can and see what you can build. Um, and I know Joe got busy with some things. I was finishing up, uh, the build Rory challenge. I think it just finished and we, uh, I was moving into the next challenge, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, Joe, why don't you tell us what you did? So I had a lot of time on my hands, uh, over the past couple months. Uh, I am fortunate enough that I work in a position that, uh, my work was able to be done from home. It was not my normal work. <clears throat> yeah, I moved into more of a uh, support role for the people that I work with uh, and for, but mm -hmm. there was still work to be done. Um, a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails. So um, that said, uh, two and a half months that I was home uh, went by really fast. So um, like I, I couldn't tell you where the time went, and I did not uh spend nearly as much time with the hobby as I had hoped or should have. Um <laughs> it was uh there's a lot of you know working from home and just enjoying 
enjoying being home. Um, enjoying with time. With, yeah, enjoying yep. time with my wife. And, you know, she's got her office set up. I've got my office set up. Um, you know, we weren't hanging together constantly. But, you know, I'd go in there, you know, two, two or three times throughout the day. Check in with her, spend, you know, spend a few minutes with her. And, yeah. you know, I'd get up and move about. But, no, I was, I did not build or do anything with the hobby nearly as much as I should have or wanted to. But uh, on the front end of all this, um, I was able to do some stuff. Um, the the fogey, which would be the last the last plane that I had that we really talked about, um, I can say is gone, and I can get into that. But uh, the fogey is no more, uh, in as much as it is uh, a couple a couple pieces of foam in my garage right now. Um, but before it was all that, a couple pieces of foam. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> but before all that happened, uh, towards front end of the the COVID lockdowns, uh, my in laws came down for the weekend, and my mother in law works in, uh, or works with STEM, uh, the science, technology, engineering, mathematics in North Carolina, and so, um. I had the opportunity to first take my father-in-law out flying with the fogey. And then uh, it piqued his interest. Like, man, she would, she would love to see this because she works with STEM and all that. This could be a great, yeah, a great tool with them. And so uh, right, her eyes lit up like mine did when I started seeing this for the same reason, just going like, wow, this is a great uh, educational tool that's guaranteed to spark interest in a lot more youth um, than a lot of other methods. Yeah, his eyes certainly did. Um and <laughs> I I guess her eyes lit up as as much as her eyes do. Uh so I took her out uh the next she's day. Pretty even keel. Yeah, she she's just I don't know that I've ever seen her like super excitable. Um right. In in the few years that I've known her. Uh I mean wonderful lady. I just in uh, some ways a bit like me just even calm um mm-hmm. but i did get a chance i got to take the father-in-law out then i took her out um and i couldn't get either one of them to take the controller from me and you know both of them were <laughs> both of them were we just don't want to wreck your stuff and i'm like yeah but but joe, joe if you hadn't $2 had dollars in foam <laughs> but if you hadn't had 40 hours of or what however much it was uh, like a month's time in the simulator. If I had handed you, said, "Hey, man, you should fly this," because I kind of did, right? Yeah. Or I tried to. Um, if you hadn't had that time, what would you have said? Oh, hell no, right? Oh no, uh, no, no, no! I'm not going to bust your stuff. Yeah, potentially, but uh, at the same time, you know, it's what I, I was trying to communicate that it's fine. And you yeah. might tank it. Chances are you won't. I've got it trimmed out. It's not going anywhere unless you right. tell it to go there. Um, but Right. When you let go of this, it's just going to keep going. That's all. It's yeah. not going to crash. It's just going to keep keep floating. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, I couldn't get either one cool. of them to fly, but they were both interested in it. Um, and since my father-in-law has ordered in uh, two kits from a uh, flight test store, uh, he ordered in the simple cub, and then he ordered in. Oh, I can't remember what it was. Anyway, it was one of the master builds. Um, oh, so he's, the, yeah. Uh, so let's see: Corsair, Spitfire, Mustang, P P thirty eight. 
It might have been the Corsair. I think there's another one. Yeah, I think it might have been the Corsair. A lot of people... Yeah, the Corsair is so popular. It's just a cool-looking plane. It it always has been, always will be. It is, but he's a little ways from being ready to tackle that one. That said, um, he might tackle it as a... um, you know, just a, a project to build in the basement. I think he might be more mm-hmm. interested in the building side of things than the actual flying side of things. Sure, um, the build part of the hobby. Yeah. And it's a, it's a little tough for him right now. He's actually, um, for several months now, been in some, and for a few years, but especially the last couple months, been in some pretty heavy pain. He's having some back issues that, with the oh, yeah. with all the COVID stuff going on, it's, uh you know, kind of put a, a damper on him trying to get the surgery that he needs, but uh, hopefully he'll be able to get that soon, and then he'll be able to spend more time sitting. But they ordered those kits to 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 see what uh, to see what the process was. Like if you bought a kit with you know everything done up, ready to go, you know what was the build process? What is, what does it take? Yeah, right. and of course you're sitting there going like, this was really simple. I mean, um, yes and no. Like it took uh, time. It took time, yeah. but it wasn't hard to follow. It was pretty easy to do, but yeah. it does take some expertise to get it just right. Yeah. So we sat on their, uh, on their balcony porch or screened in porch. Um, mm-hmm. you know, my, my father-in-law, my brother-in-law and I sat there, had the laptop pulled out watching the uh the build video <laughs> on it and we were we were taking a little bit by a little bit and i was kind of going over build concepts with them and you know i here's how you cut this part out or you know the of course so, they were there were pieces that popped out but here's how you got to do your your hinge cuts and the this cut and the, this fold that fold and did um, you what uh, did you turn into me just for that moment just a little bit maybe yeah maybe <laughs> Um, especially if we want to know how I got there. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, so that got built. Um, we did, we did maiden it. It didn't maiden well. Um, there were some various issues with that, that, uh, don't necessarily belong in this part of the conversation, but, uh, yeah. So they're trying that out. Um, it's just a, it's not the right time. I don't think for them to really pursue that uh with things going on but i'm curious to see where that goes in the future the um a flight a flying story with that aspect or with that topic uh when i took my mother-in-law out uh and i tried to get her to fly she had no interest in taking that controller from me for the same reason my my father-in-law did which was i don't want to crash planes i don't want to lose your plane to this well yeah you're not going to lose it if it gets that far away i'll bring it back in and mm-hmm. you're probably not going to crash it. And if you did, I'm out three dollars in foam. You know, and they're just oh, but the time. Yeah. I said the and, time. And maybe is... a prep. Yeah, I yeah. like, but it's, it's fine. It's not like a balsa build where you're at it for about a month to get it right, or or even a couple of weeks, right? Like some yeah. of them, you can you can actually go pretty fast with. But point is, is yeah, within a, a night, you could probably have it up and running again. Yeah. So, ew it. But while I was out flying it, <laughs> the day that I took my mother-in-law out, uh, especially that type of day, was very windy. Um, you know how normally you're like, wow, it's windy and there's trees, you know, kind of encompassing <laughs> this area. So there's a lot of ground noise as far as the uh, or the turbulence yeah. goes. You're like, let me get up above the trees and I'll get some clean air. And um, trees are speed brakes. 
We'll just uh, we'll throw that one out there because uh, I, I got that fogey up there and said I'm gonna let it fly that way for a little while. And it it went that way and it went quick and then I turned yeah. it around to bring it back. So then you turned it. So basically you were going downwind <laughs> for a little while and it was going. It was trucking and then you started to turn it back and you're like, oh, all I got to do is just bring it. Oh God, it's not going anywhere, is it? Yeah, this takes forever. <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna be screwed if my battery goes dead while it's out there. Yeah. Uh, what was probably two minutes of flight time in that direction was a, almost 10 minutes of flight back. I'll tell um, you what, it's a good thing it's an old fogey because because <laughs> most planes don't have that kind of battery life. Uh, you know, yeah. They're not that, that efficient because uh, the old fogey so light yeah. um, compared to its size that it's just so it's just take, you can fly it for a long time. Well, and on the on that point too, with it being so light, but perhaps a different plane would have gotten back faster. Part of the problem that I was running into with the Fogey, and it's the nature of that plane. Love the plane for it, but the the under cambered wing, um, yeah, it's slow. It's slow, but it generates a ton of lift. So I had it trimmed proper for the speed I was going, but it was also <laughs> catching a tremendous headwind. Uh, right. so, so anytime it's, it's that I tried to, cause I was bringing it back on the same throttle that I took it out there. I was like, man, this is taking forever. Let me rev it up. And any amount of throttle that I wanted to give it beyond what I had it at, of course, the way trim works, yeah. it wanted to whoop nose up and the, sure. like, I was fighting that. And then of course it dawned on me. Well, yeah, the wind's blowing past it, but I'm losing ground if I don't keep that nose level. Because the moment it noses up, it's going to grab all that air, and mm. it might stay. It might not stall out, but it's flying backwards, baby. Right, it's going to become uh, a kite without a yeah. string. <laughs> so the flight back uh, went a lot faster once I just said screw it and took it about to about like eighty, eighty-five percent throttle and just held the nose down, which then I ran. Fortunately. I didn't have uh, ailerons in that build because uh, it's very difficult to keep a keep that that nose down without giving any side to side. So that rudder mm-hmm. was kicking in a bit, um, but it took a little <laughs> while. But I eventually got it back. It was a long flight back. I'm glad but... you got it back too. I've, there's been a couple guys who are like, "Oh, this is cool. I'm going to be able to." Uh oh. Uh oh crap. <laughs> oh, I I don't know. I'm going to get it back. I've had a couple planes. I just had to ditch because I mm-hmm. I could tell they were not coming back. The yep. longer I had them in the air, the further out they were getting, and I'm like, oh, crap. Uh, and it was one like an old fogey where, you know, it's just a strong headwind. You, you've seen my flying field. Uh, oh, maybe you haven't. It's just a big 40-acre open field. So when it's windy, like it's windy in a normal yard or something, right? It's almost, you know, an extra 10 miles an hour there. And it's, oh, yeah, it's almost like so lake it's wind. Just, it's just going, baby. And mm-hmm. yeah, so it's it's going to take those planes and just keeps them going if you if you aren't careful. Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah. So, so okay, so you managed to get it back though. That's the cool part. Yeah, I got it back. I, to date, I have not lost one. It Swim may not have <laughs> may not have continued flying once I uh, put it on the ground, but I have not lost one. Um, <laughs> with what actually killed that fogey, I took it out flying behind my church. Uh, and again, this was early in things shutting down um mm-hmm. and uh they they got a little field out behind the church small you know but i right. went out there and uh i thought i was gonna lose in, in the uh trees around that field because i got it up above the trees i was flying it around and 
it I guess it got I guess it started getting gusty. I had a real hard time uh keeping it under control because I was trying to bring it back in, but it just kept wanting to uh nose up, you know, potentially from headwind and just the throttle. Because I had flown mm-hmm. it around for a good little while, and then I started getting, okay, I'm comfortable, I'm going to get a little, you know, a little fancier with it, and that's when you start getting in trouble. <laughs> um, and, like, it was up there doing backflips, big old backflips, yeah. and I'm just trying to get it back, you know, oh, under yeah. control. So you had it more too tail-heavy for the, the headwind that you had. Right, and and it was not a tail-heavy plane, just the yeah. sit. it just, it, that's what it was doing. And I don't know, but maybe, was, maybe the battery shifted. I don't think it did, but anyway, yeah, so it maybe. was up there, it was up there cutting big old back loops. Um, and I'd see it at kind of the peak of the loop when it's belly up, I'd see it up oh, above so the it trees. over the trees? Oh yeah, I was over there. Oh, oh no. Like I, yeah, so you're sitting there, there like, I don't know where it is. Oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. Oh, I don't there. know where it is. <laughs> oh, there it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, try, trying to bring it back in, and I just knew I was going to lose it there. And I was like, "Oh man, I don't mm. care about I don't care about the foam, man. I'm worried about the all the electronics in it." But I, I know, man- right? But I managed to get it back, and I was like, "Man, okay, cool." And so I, I brought it back in, I set it down, you know, landed it, checked it over. <laughs> yeah, you know, why why was that happening? Everything checked out fine. It must have been the wind. You know, you're a little shaky in that moment. And I said, "I really should just pack it up and go home." One more go. But I'm not going to leave the field with post almost, you know, emergency jitters. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to have that weigh in on me. I, like I'm enjoying the relief. I feel better. It's on the ground. It's safe. I will fly it. And so I flew it. It it flew fine. And then again, you try to get fancy, and something happens. And my intent was I wanted a sliding, uh, landing. I wanted to land it and you know have it skid across the ground a little ways. And it wasn't going to do that in the grass. So I was going to try to land it on the parking lot. Right, that's right, because you, your landing gear is not functional. Right, so point, it, it's right? just the belly yeah. of the plane. So I, I was going to land it in the parking lot so it could skid. Uh, I think the parking lot, uh, I think this was after the parking lot was repaved. Because uh, right, right. that parking lot was repaved recently. Anyway, but I wanted to get a nice, I cut the throttle, it, it plops and it slides. And I was bringing it around, and there's some trees in the parking uh, barrier medians. Anyway, and I was bringing it around, trying to set up for the landing. And I cut too close to a tree on the backside. You'll you kind of have a hard time sometimes <laughs> gauging how far away it is behind another object. And the yeah. tree's bare, and I can see the plane, but I thought I was further away, straight into the tree. And it was about twelve foot up. I mean, way out of my reach. That it's you know church is shut down. The, there's nobody there. I kind of went around looking. There was no like break I could stick up there. Right. There's no the, like ladder hanging out that you could kind of yeah. use temporarily or anything. Yeah. No. I'm, I'm not. I don't have my truck anymore, so I couldn't get up in the bed of the truck. So, so the only what did thing you end up throwing at it a bunch of a basketball, shoes? a basketball, because <laughs> that where I was flying was out behind the student ministries building, and yeah. they you know they keep basketballs and soccer balls out there so yeah um, okay you know I, I just started chucking a basketball at it for a while it took me a while but i finally knocked it out but by the time i got out of that tree she won't go back in the air <laughs> well at least um, you didn't try to to take a like a six foot piece of timber and throw it up as hard as you could at the plane that was in the tree this little tiny plane who did that last time 
I did last time. I think when I had flown the Hexi or something, another one of those, when I was trying to get those in the air, uh-huh. uh, I crashed it into a tree and it was like 20 feet up, stuck on a branch. Like, cause it's, it, it's literally a series of loops. That's all yeah. it is with like little and if winglets. It, if it happens to slide down a branch. And that's essentially what it did. And I was like, son of a, you know, and, and I just, and at that point I was so frustrated with the whole day. It was a bad day of flying. Right. So I grabbed this log. This is what I described last time. Like I grabbed this log and I hurled it at the next man, that thing that got crushed pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, it, it held up well considering, yeah. but like, yeah, it, it's like throwing a bowling ball at a foam plane. Like, okay, yeah, it's not going to make it, but mm-hmm. I'll get the electronics back. <laughs> I mean, that's the important part, really. The right. rest so of it's just time. things that take time. Yeah, well, I mean, it, but it's not a month's time to rebuild that plane unless you want it to be. Whereas yeah. you, it's a guaranteed month or more to get the electronics replaced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you don't, if you don't have spares, you know. So, so good, you got it back. Yeah, it, it's back. <laughs> a, a bit, it's a in, bit battered. <laughs> it's in the garage. Everything's been ripped out of it. The only thing left that's not foam is some coffee stirs I was using to guide the uh, control wires and the control wires. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just it's gutted at this point. Um. Oh. But you know what? I was happy with that plane. Um, and honestly, uh, having built the Simple Cub and flown the Simple Cub, uh, right? Because that, that's what your father-in-law right? He up, got the right? he got the Cub. Uh, and I I hear that it's like the recommended, like it's one of those top recommended as far as like getting into the hobby and yeah. you know having a plane that handles well and flies well. And people love the Cub. Uh, they I'll, just love it. I'm gonna have I don't to build know. one. I had to build one again because when I built that one, we ran into some issues of, um, I I wanted to put ailerons in the build, go ahead and make it a four channel, um, should, and I yeah. I should have just stuck with a three, especially because, but I I decided like I said I want to go ahead and cut the cut the ailerons and get you flying on a four channel, um, and so we did that. There was some I, I didn't a get a lot the of cr- people recommend it. I didn't get the control wires long enough, so the ailerons were a little off. And I did some tweaking and working with those, oh. and didn't quite get them right. But I was like, ah, you know, we've been going at it for eight hours. Like, ah, let's just. Mm. Uh, and so there, there could have been some issues there. Um, I thought the CG was fine, but yeah, I'm fairly certain the CG was fine. Um, Dude, okay, so in the in the future, when you do this with your father-in-law next time, or should you, and you're not sure about something, give me a call, man. I'm gonna have to. You could you could just put it on the points, put it on your fingers. Let me see. Okay, yep, that looks good. Or nope, move it up a hair. You you want a little bit more nose heavy, especially with the cub. I if if I understand it right, the cub needs a little bit more uh, forward heavy. Plus, um, another aspect of that plane is uh, if you do the full throws, it flies horrible because it's mm-hmm. just too much. It, no. it needs smaller, smaller endpoints. So instead of fo- moving, like, let's say a total of an inch, it really only needs like half inch movements or right. quarter inch movements to, to be a gentle flyer like it can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I say that that's experience. So I ended up building the Simple Cub. Um, I have it in the other room and I brought it to the Simple Cub day at my field and it was a handful. You know, I, I was proud of it, man. It was beautiful. I had my little Uncle George little thing. I put his little little mug in there and the cockpit looking thing. You know, it, it looked great. 
so I'm flying it, and it's a, it's a handful. And I, I'm like, dude, this is sucks. Everybody tells me Cubs are amazing. I'm watching these guys fly their Cubs. They're great. I said, can you help? You know, I asked one of the old guys. Uh, I think it was the the president of the club. I'm like, do you think you could help me with this? Like, I don't understand how to get this to work right. I I think I built the plane right. I think the surfaces and controls are they're all working right. I've got them set centered enough where. I should be able to fly this pretty well. What am I missing? And so what he ended up doing is he ended up setting, like you had, the three different modes in the con- in the controller mm-hmm. and three different throws, basically. So a high, middle, and low throw rate. And he also ended up putting in, I had the Expo backwards. So Expo is kind of like Ooh. a softening of the, of the travel. So right. instead of being a linear travel, it's, uh, an, it's a parabolic travel so it goes slow at first and then it speeds up to the end Mm -hmm. right so so it means that you have fine control in the middle quarter of the stick or the middle middle half of the stick and on the outside it travels a lot more right Right. because most of the time you're going to need fine controls to really do most of the maneuvering you want but boy oh boy every once while you're about to hit a tree i gotta turn i gotta turn hard and i gotta turn quick well, you need the full, you know, the full throw, right? So, mm-hmm. but for the most part, most of your travels are just going to be in that little centerpiece. If you did it linear, that little centerpiece would would be, uh, I, I don't even, like a tiny button, right? As opposed mm-hmm. to like a quarter, you know? Like if you do the expo, you have a quarter's range to, to move within. So anyway, I had it backwards. So it was traveling fast in the center, and then it was going real slow on the outer outer pieces of the throws. So it was zooming through neutral. So when I had it neutral, it was good at neutral. But if I moved that stick a tiny bit, it would go to like half throw. Um, which, you know, again, so what I ended up realizing is I had that stuff all wrong. He set that up for me. And he said, yeah, we're going to start in middle. I'm going to fly it around, make sure it's trimmed out. And he said it didn't need much to trim it out. So that means I had built it about right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he handed it back to me. And I, he goes, here you go, man. And so I, I took off. I'm like, holy crap, I can fly this. It flies great. Everybody was right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but it, it came down to it was the throws. It was those, the high and low, and making sure that they weren't moving too much. So uh, if if you're a noob... And you've got one of those FT kits. All I can say is that when you're at the end and you built it and you, you're pretty sure you did it right, pay attention to those those throw gauges that they have. And make sure you set up your transmitter. If you don't know, ask. Go on the forum, the FT forums or RC groups or whoever, and eat, mm-hmm. eat crow if you have to. Because, you know, some places they're going to go, what do you mean you don't know nothing? And you'll be like, you're right. I don't know anything. That's why I'm asking. Um, or look online, look on YouTube. They'll show you how to kind of go through the, go through the steps to get that set up in your transmitter so that, cause that's going to give you success. Yeah. And once you have a one model set up like that, you can probably put like three or four planes set up in that same setup. So um, yeah. And there, there are videos out there. I've looked up, looked them up and every, every transmitter is a little different. Um, it is. He's using the DX six, mm-hmm. six, six, six or six E. E. It, it's, it's the it's the lower e. end version of it. Well, the six um, the six is the lower end of that group. 
Okay. And I don't know if the E is the extended version and the other well, one the, is with the without the E is just basic. But yeah, I think this. I think without the E is the basic because it's it's a six channel. It's the DX six, but that's okay. That's um, all you really need for most that's, of your planes. That's all he needs. Um, and in fact, I had to I had to reverse one of the servos or one of the um, mm-hmm. one of the channels because of how I mounted the servo. And that was interesting. I was like, "Oh man, is this can this controller do that?" And I looked into the yeah, it can. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's a weird like it's all in the sticks. You got to push them a certain way and then turn it on, <laughs> and then you got to use one stick to like turn and select uh, to do the selections. It, yeah, it flashes lights to tell you where you're at. Oh it's, boy, yeah, yeah. You know, I I enjoy my turn. old fashioned. <laughs> that's the old fashioned way of doing it too. Yeah. Uh, so nowadays, most of them do it like your turnigy or. Uh, in the sense that it's all in the menu system mm-hmm. in the screen and it's it, not in stick movements. But it used to be, okay, both sticks to the lower right or lower left and then that starts the selection menu for in or out. And you can actually, a lot of ESCs still do some of that. Mm-hmm. So if you start the sticks in a certain position, the ESC says, oh, you must want to go into programming mode. Welcome to programming mode. And then it expects you to do a bunch of stuff. And of course, if you accidentally get there, you don't know what you're doing. You'll screw it all up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that's what happened to my X29. I ended up building the X29, and I, I think I accidentally limited my throttle throw. Mm-hmm. So I can only, you know, I can only go up to like 70% throttle on the thing right now because the ESC oh. says, oh, uh, the, the full, the value that the transmitter is sending out as full throttle. The ESC is saying, "Okay, you want seventy percent throttle. Cool, that's the yeah. top. We're good." It, it's and I'm all like, how "No, you set it up. <laughs> right?" Because I like I didn't realize I was I was in charge of setting throttle at that point when I was messing with the menu, the the programming part of it by accident. Mm-hmm. And I left. I went to go look at something. I left the throttle at like three quarters throttle, and I was just kind of put my hands off. I was looking around, kind of like, "Where the heck is? Am I missing a piece?" And then all of a sudden, I heard beep, 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 or whatever the ESC does to denote, okay, got it. We'll yeah, set that to throttle go. to three quarters. That's the <laughs> max. And I'm like, and then, you know, and of course, you know, I'm still doing full throttle. It's going a full range. I'm like, but that's not the same thrust it just had. Like, and we're talking with EDFs, that top 25% makes up 50% of the thrust. So, Zero to seventy-five is like half of your uh, your thrust capacity, and when you go from that seventy-five percent to the hundred percent, you're you're almost doubling your thrust. Um, so anyway, it, it it was crazy. So you you weren't able to get the simple cub, um, but he did get the build experience, which is um, pretty helpful. Yeah, he got the build experience, and every every build is a an exercise in learning. Uh, a little something because the and I'm going to eat crow for a second because I've touted that I understand aerodynamics and I have all this sim time and I have the you know I've done this I've done that <laughs> and one of the mis- one of the mistakes I recognize in the build is that um we I was not up for uh trying to get the the um control wire linkages the uh the, the little screw thing that you stick the wire through and you screw another uh-huh. screw into the end of that yep uh yep. so that you can easily adjust lengths um 
trying to get those in sometimes can be a pain. And I knew that when I did it, I had to use a screw, a, a drill, I think, or a drill bit to kind of wallow out that hole a little bit. And I wanted to get it built for, you know, like, let's get this thing built. Let's not go into all that right now. And so I did like the, the Z bins and stuff to shorten mm-hmm. the, the cables. And again, eating crow for a minute should have known better. Uh, but I think this contributed to part of the problem, which was that both of the ailerons sat high. So both ailerons were angled up a little bit instead of being <laughs> flush with the rest of the wing. And I was looking at it, I was like, man, like I've been really working the Z-bin trying to get it pulled in, and they're they're even. They're even. They're sticking up by the same amount, and it ain't much. Mm-hmm. It'll probably be fine, because they're sticking up the same amount. And what I'm wondering is if I wasn't uh, inducing nose up with both ailerons being up a bit, which is some of what I was experiencing with that plane. I, I don't know. It shouldn't have tried to fly that way. Unlikely. It's unlikely. Um, you should have seen what I tried to fly today. Um, <laughs> I've had something very similar to what you just described, and and mm-hmm. it flew. It flew okay. Um, but it's a, it's a lot more touchy, I think, is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's harder to get balanced. And if you're just starting out, that's that's one thing you don't want to have to deal with. Yeah. So there's that. Now, uh, took it out, bit of damage to the plane from like landing gear because it didn't want to take off right. Or, mm-hmm. yeah, I had trouble getting it to take off. I was trying to do more of a taxi takeoff, like proper takeoff rather than chucking. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, it tends learn. to save save the plane uh, more often than not. Yeah, and anyway, so. Between landing gear catching grass as the plane cut left hard during taxi, and then just oh, yeah, yeah. some rough landings because it wasn't wanting to fly right, um, I felt bad because, you know, it was I was going flying su- Sunday morning uh, <laughs> right at noon or so when I was, like, Rachel was ready to head home. We had to go. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, I'll take my brother-in-law flying because my father-in-law can't get out and fly. Well, you know, I'll get up in the air, trim it out, hand it to the controller. We'll have like 15, 20 minutes. This thing ought to take yeah. off and be fine. It wasn't. So I felt terrible leaving him with, you got a little bit of patchwork, dude. Wasn't terrible. He had to like re-glue some pieces. And <laughs> and we've talked about it, and I've apologized to him. Like, like I feel really yeah. bad. Because his first message to me was, how are you going to leave me with a busted plane? He's giving you a bunch of crap. You're killing me, man. You're killing me. But at least means he likes you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he and I get along great. I did feel bad about it. I told him, I was like, look, you know, it is never my intention to cut and run when I, but, you know, had to go. Um, Yeah, but you had to go, right? I was, my intent was take take the brother in law out flying, get up in the air. Trim it, make sure it's right, hand him the controller, he'd have five or ten minutes of flight time, and then I gotta get on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I'm gonna build the simple cub in my own time, uh, out of my materials. You know, no, I don't have a plan, I'll probably do a piece together plan at that point, print out on multiple pages. Sure. Um, so that I can say, okay, yes, the cub does fly, and get the better experience on that, because, uh, <laughs> I'm sure. It, you know that if it's a great plane i just didn't have a good first experience and i recognize that there were flaws in my building of that one 
Um, at the same time, interesting, I, I want to ask you, have you ever experienced a servo that does not return to the zero correctly? Uh, I've had uh, servos fail in a lot of different ways. Is it one that was from a uh, flight test? I wasn't going to say it, but yes. Uh, well, I'm just saying because he can call them up and talk to them about it. They might send him an extra servo in a bubble package, and he'll have it in a week. Yeah, yeah. It's they, just a, it's a they happen like so. Nine out of every ten servos I buy work great. Are fine. And, yeah, and and that one out of ten, they have an issue. Sometimes it's right out of the bat. Sometimes it's a little ways in. Um, like I literally bought a kit that was a wing. And it has two servos. They're awesome. I'm like, cool, these work great, and blah, blah, blah. And I test them, and I center them, and they're all work- it's all working great. Mm-hmm. And I put them in the wing, and I hook up the control rod, and I tighten it so it's just like, you know the right thing. And then I go to work it back and forth, back and forth, making sure everything's good. And I, you know, and the one yeah. just skips like it, like it busted a tooth or something in there, in the gears. I'm like, oh, crap. So now I've got like one server that works great and one server that doesn't. And so I'm like, oh, shoot, you know, yeah, and, and, and I know these things are happens. mass produced. Yeah. And they, that happens. Right. They get yeah. mass produced into billions. It seems, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and they're complex too, because they are a motor. They're a, a very small electronic board to mm-hmm. control it. It's a, it's a potentiometer in there yeah. and it's a whole series of absolutely tiny gears. Mm-hmm. Right, made out of either nylon or metal or some other thing, with three really tiny half millimeter diameter shafts that sit in this plastic housing on the top. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, all of these are individual parts that they either had to manufacture there and pull together, or they bought them from other places and assembled them. Right. Like, so either way, you shake it; it's a it's its own complex uh, item. Right, it's not something that's just I cut it out of a mold and I sent it to you. Yeah, and and I'm not and why I wasn't going to put a name to it is, you know, I get these things are mass produced, and it any servo can have the problem. I think you've opened up you know servos that are generally good and had a dead one. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there might I think that might have been just a bad run. Yeah, there was uh there yeah, was some maybe there was some humming in some of them where they were sitting there just like twitching. Like very mm-hmm. very tiny, that's, but they were just like that's like they pretty normal, honestly. Like they're st- they're not zeroing out right; they're waiting for it. And then what happens is if you if you tap the controller to kind of go out to the thing and back to neutral again, mm-hmm. you, it, and it, it may be because in your transmitter, your zero it doesn't return to exactly zero; it returns to one or negative two, right? Which that's within like a dead zone. And you can change the dead zone in your transmitter so that it will not, it will not pick up from negative two to two, right? It will not. It will always send that little window as zero. Right. So that way, when you pop your transmitter, it will bring that to zero, and it'll send the zero signal to the to the servo. And yeah. sometimes it's that. That's the only thing I can suggest. There's other methods to to deal with that too. But um, that's not as much of a thing to worry about. Although it does suck because you're like, well, every time it's doing that, it's strong power. Yeah, it's not the power that I'm necessarily concerned about. No, but I mean, it's something. And if yeah. you leave a plane there for, 
you know, 30 minutes with a servo or two that are pulling power, you're going to have a lot less in the battery than you, than you realize. Uh, you know, you're cut, you're cutting off a half a minute of plain fun. Yeah. I may <laughs> have to talk to him sometime and have him run some tests on those servos thing. Cause I didn't even mm-hmm. think about is the buzz coming from the servo in general, or is it because of the transmitter sending an, a slightly off mm-hmm. signal? Um, that, that's what happens oftentimes. Um, it's when you get like a teeth grinding kind of, or that it's like it's skipping, like you mm-hmm. hear it almost jitter. Now that's the other thing is it will jitter sometimes because it's receiving. Uh, I'm trying to think. It's the, it's more about the kind of signal it's receiving. Right. It's kind of going this or that, or this or that, this or that, and I can't agree on which one, so it goes back and forth. Okay. There's more to that too, and I think that's a little bit out of my depth because I don't pay too close attention to those things. But uh, they are uh, that's also fairly common, and not the end of the world. It's not a good sign, but it's probably you'll probably be fine to fly the cub around in a while. Yeah. Um, the the humming didn't bother me so much as there there were two servos that had more prominent issues. One was. And I and I replaced that servo in the build. I gave him one of mine that I had in the car because I took all my stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one servo was slow, if I remember correctly. It was slower than the other one, um, or it was it was fast in one direction and slow returning, which you know then you're going to imbalance, especially considering that was in the aileron. Uh, mm-hmm. So I just I replaced that servo with one of mine. I said like servos are like three bucks. Don't worry about it. Um, and I've got a few extra I'm not using right now. And then I did not replace this servo because it was getting so late. And I was like, well, if we're aware of it, we can, you know, if we're aware of it and mindful of it when we're flying, we'll know how the point, we'll know what to expect uh, on how the plane handles. But the servo that was connected to the elevator, when you would, when you would nose up, it would, it would return to zero fine when you nosed down. I think it was when you nosed down and then returned to zero, the servo would actually pass zero in the going. It would just go past zero to a, to a point, even though the stick was at mm. zero, you'd, you'd nose up you'd go back to zero, you'd nose down and it would pass zero. Right. I get you. So basically it starts out level, you go up, it comes back to zero dead love, dead flat across mm-hmm. the back and then you go down and it comes back but it's not it doesn't stop at that level right it, it, keep, kind of it keeps it keeps going a little bit yeah. uh, enough that it would have caused the plane to then not be mm-hmm. level and you can over you can overcome that by saying well if i'm aware of it then when i do this thing i just bump the stick in the other direction even minutely and that that'll send it back to mm-hmm. zero mm-hmm. so i'm not and sure you don't what... want to have to think about that while you're flying if you know well, you don't want to but no, because that, he's that's just asking for for a dead plane. Yeah, he's a <laughs> he's a little ways from flying again just yet. So I think I'm going to send him some links to some servos that he can order some more in just to have. But yeah. say also that this would be a good servo to replace. Um, if I might say though, a flight test oftentimes I, I, they used to exclusively order Emacs servos. And Emacs tends to do very good quality control on their products. They produce very uh, good quality motors. Their ESCs are 
decent quality by Altel, and their speed their uh, servos are uh, consistently uh, solid. Mm-hmm. So, um, th- I mean, doesn't mean that they don't have bad ones. That I mean, that just seems to be. Ha- but they are. So where I get my bulk, really cheap servos, and I'm talking like they're a buck, right? Buck mm-hmm. and a half. And Emacs servers are like $5. So we're looking, that's kind of the quality level we're talking about. I'll buy 10, or let's say if I buy 50, I'll have five that won't work, right? Right. Five, there's something wrong that's not okay. The Emacs servos, I'll probably have one, maybe two Mm -hmm. out of that kind of batch. So you are far less likely to run into an issue with an Emacs servo than a generic, um, what a a hobby tower, tower pro. I think it's the generic nine gram blue servo. Again, oh, they're cheap. The ones that I'm um, using. <laughs> yeah, that's the one that everybody uses. Are you okay. kidding me? Yeah, most people use them. And the, the reason being is that they're, um, you can tell the ones that don't work pretty quickly while you're doing your centering. Like when you're centering it and you're putting it in and you're testing, it will fail then before you get the plane into the air, most likely. Um, they're not super strong. So they're compared to like some of the higher torque servos or some of the higher end servos, they're more likely to strip in a crash. A lot of people, I've never really run into that as a big issue. Um, the bigger issue I have is that they just don't, you know, they, they don't launch. So mm-hmm. they, you try it and they just, Oh, that one doesn't work. And you put it off to the side. The other ones, they work fine. So, um, but they're, they're cheap. And they're nine grams and they do what you need. They're yeah. fast enough. They have enough torque. They're connect just like every other servo. So um, for what we need in foam planes that weigh under, what, 250 grams to 500 grams. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, that's more than enough to do what we need. And it's a great it, price. And like I said, I get that. Uh, I figure that. You know, it, I just had, it happens. You know, that's why I wasn't going to attach a name to it. Cause like, you know, generally they're, they're good. They're good for their stuff. Um, but it's also, I don't know, worth trying to go in and get replaced. I was like, it's, it's a cheap servo, you know, order some more. Mm-hmm. But what that does bring to mind <laughs> is if they, if they manage to do, or they happen to do the STEM stuff with this, let them know. As you're buying kits, you know, however, you know, plan on buying multiple yeah. extra mm-hmm. servos to have on hand in the event that a servo fails, show comes right. out bad. You mm-hmm. know, I've been fortunate exactly. none of mine have been bad, but it's entirely possible that the guy that I bought them from had already done all the testing and said, oh, here's uh, the bad ones, Chuck. I'm pretty certain he did, honestly. Yeah. Um, okay. So you uh, also started something. We were talking about it because I... I have a simple sore, FT simple sore that I, I have a wing and I flew it a lot and then crashed it so much that the fuselage started to wiggle Mm -hmm. both at the tail and the main section had been crumpled a bit. So I was like, I got to rebuild that. But the wing is still good. The wing is solid. Um, I actually ended up just reinforcing it because, um, so as I was doing that, you're like, oh yeah, that's the plane I want to build. Did you get a chance to build that? I started to, um, <clears throat> I got all the, the template parts cut out, uh, the paper 
and mm-hmm. uh, I started cutting some of the foam parts out. And when I went to build, when I went to fold the the main section of the wing over, um, I don't know why I did this. Uh, one of those things where you're trying to cut a corner um, in a build, and I, I thought that I had done it before, and I think I probably did with my glider that I built originally, where I just took like a barbecue skewer, kind of ran in the what was going to be that that big fold. Uh-huh. Uh, I, yeah, I kind of oh, ran so that through there and mashed the foam. Yeah, I was I was you doing compress the front edge. Yeah, and uh, you know then took a bigger like bar uh popsicle stick and like really work that foam and the paper didn't hold up to the fold over um and so i i just pop popped it right there um and so okay that there's a reason they say do the 45 <laughs> when you're doing those folds <laughs> uh so yeah. lesson learned on that but no i've not completed the simple story yet um i need to buckle down and get it done because when i can get out to fly and um which we're able like to get to, out. Of, yeah, we're out. Like we're today. able to get out a bit more today. Yeah, so. I, I was thinking uh, today the clouds were small and poofy, which is uh, that means that there's a lot of uh, updrafts. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of day. So like during the day, that sucks for flying regular planes because you're you want clean air, right? And this is right. air that's going up or coming down, um, and, and basically forming the clouds. But that's perfect for. Uh, for soaring so that's perfect for gliding because mm-hmm. what you're looking for is you're kind of hunting around for a thermal that'll lift you up so you can fly even longer and you basically hunt around because again you're just gliding you're falling at a very very slow rate um and then if you catch a thermal you extend your time significantly so on days like today and i, I know you probably have the same kind of clouds um yeah, that that's the day to go soaring. So having one of those, I like having one of those. I've got one in my in the background. One of those is always great to have on hand for days like today. Mm. So know, and you're just standing out in the sun, relaxing, maybe sitting in a chair and just with the sunglasses on and just watching the sky, just cruising around. You can take a plane that would normally the battery would last maybe eight minutes or six minutes, and with a soaring plane. If it's got a, if it's motorized, you can make that battery. It'll probably last a good thirty to forty minutes. I've definitely done it over an hour, easy. Yeah, um, you're not you're not powering a motor the whole time. No, you just run it to get it at some altitude, and you're soaring around trying to catch as many thermals as you can. And then when it starts getting real low, then you're like, okay, time time to run it again and bring it back up. It's, it's awesome, and I, I want I want you to have that experience. It's relaxing. Um, it's enjoyable for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's something, if you like, the, you enjoy the, the FD Fogey, the old Fogey. So uh, this is kind of a similar gentle flying experience. I'm looking forward to finishing it. I just got to buckle down and do it. Yeah. Um, that said, uh, we spent a, difficult. yeah, we have spent a lot of time talking about, my builds and failures and all that. Let's talk about your stuff and then we'll actually get into what we're going to get into this episode. Okay. Um, shoo boy. It was build fever or it still is. I don't know. Um, we finished up, let's see, February finished up the build month that I challenged. I put together on the FT forums. So I 
succeeded in building the four planes I had set out to build. Actually, not the four planes I set out to build. I built four other planes. I think one of them was the one I planned. And a lot of people joined in, and it seemed like things landed in two camps, three camps. There was, there was the people who wanted to do it, and life got in the way, and it just didn't happen. It didn't help that um, everybody was starting to lock down, and nobody was knowing what the heck was going on mm. at that time, which is fine. Um, and so they, they like, I still want to build these planes, and I'm glad I I entered this challenge because now I've already got my mind set. I've got my plans ready. I've got the build. You know, I'm ready to go. So right. when I get that build bug, I'm ready to do it. So thank you for putting that together. So that made me feel pretty cool, pretty good about that. And then there's people like me who did, we did the four. We built them. We flew them. We had video footage. It's fantastic. And then we had the other camp, which was, I've never seen so many builds in one month ever. It was crazy. <laughs> I think the one guy had... 11 or 12 builds the other guy right behind him with nine and then there's a couple other guys who had six or seven and i mean that's like they were cranking them out almost every day they had a different plan and they had videos and build logs and and pictures and 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 some of them like in those 11 were custom built planes the one guy half of those 11 planes if not more were planes he thought up cut out, designed, and flew very successfully, too. Um, and he came up with, like, six new designs on the fly within one month. Built them, flew them, tested, filmed, wrote up a build log. It was awesome. I, I just absolutely inspiring. And if you're listening, you know, I, I give you the golf clap of, of, of joy. Um, and it's... Uh, anyway... And a matter of fact, a guy who's out of uh, Israel is the one who uh, managed to win that challenge because he just he just kept building. <laughs> I mean, it was awesome. I mean, it's just really cool to see. Um, and that kind of brings us to one of the other things we kind of did in this time is uh, every once in a while we would um, kind of throw together. There's a bunch of people who kind of joined us on the Discord server here. Mm -hmm. Um and we have a thing called Build Party. And it's basically just, hey, if you're online, say, hey, man, I'm building. Uh, anybody else kind of around? And some people are doing the same thing you are. And you just basically call them up on Discord. And you all sit there and chat while you build and talk about planes or talk about life. And half, the, half of the chat, I think, was oftentimes how we're all coping with COVID around the world, you know. Um, and that kind of stuff. So we, we did some of that. Um, we did a couple of the build parties during the challenge and we also did, um, I followed up with an April showers challenge. I've done it a couple of years in a row now. It's just basically, uh, build a plane that can be in fly in or fly on or off of water. Um, uh, last year it was the spruce goose, which we'll talk about in a second, but this year I, I gave up the goose, uh, at least. For this for this project and i decided i had a kit for the sea angel and that is the anime plane that's uh, out of porco russo which is mm -hmm. uh anyways uh it's basically a, it's a water plane with a big motor kind of chunked up on top it's a it's an uh, actually an italian plane and i can't remember what the original model is called but it's fantastic um it was designed by andres um and james over at flight test 
and they did a great job putting together a very robust build. It's pretty, very sturdy. Um, and it's interesting because it, it definitely, it, so I ended up finishing the build at like the last day of the month and it was, and it was raining, which was great. And I, I went to bring it outside to fly in the rain and, um, well, it stopped raining. Um, the good news was, well, like I, when I, cause so I'm literally like outside pulling all the stuff into my car and it's raining outside as I'm driving over to the field, the rain stops, you know, I'm like, Oh shoot. I got to the field. (laughs) I'm like, Oh, maybe I won't be able to complete this challenge. Darn it. Um, so I'm like, wait a second though. One, there's a quarry with a big water. It's basically a big lake now in the very back corner of the field. I'm like, I might be able to do it off of that. Although I would like to retrieve this plane. I built it and I flew it a couple times. So I knew how it flew and I knew what to look for. Uh, that plane has uh, high tip stall tendencies. So when it gets low speed, uh, the wings just start to lose their lift and they dip. Um, and one, one does it before the other. And that's really dangerous when you're trying to land. So um, that's one of the benefits of landing on water. You come in at a pretty high speed, so it right. doesn't lose the lift. You don't have a tip stall. But if you're trying to land it on the grass, if you come in hot and it's not a greased landing, just so, you're going you're gonna to lose. Uh, so you either go slow and then you tip stall and you crash, or you come in hot, and if you come in at the wrong angle, the momentum is going to stop the bottom pod the wings are kind of set up off of the pod, uh, like a biplane. Mm-hmm. So, but on top of that, like another biplane is the motor pod. So you've so got all it. this mass up high. So if the bottom stops dead, the wing moves forward, the, the motor shoves forward and that whole thing kind of like twists. And, um, so that makes it really important that you grease field landings if you're not doing it off of water. But the cool part was I, I went to the field and there was a big giant pond puddle um, that was probably about 100 feet long or 70 feet long and maybe six feet wide and it was about ankle deep, which is perfect. It was just enough to kind of get in in there. So I, I posted that video to my thing. So I flew off and I flew around a couple of times. I landed on it a couple of times. And I flew off again, which was a lot of fun. So it makes me wish I had a couple more lakes to fly off of. Um, and it, it makes me reinvigorated to get back to the spruce goose and get back to building a couple, uh, waterproof planes that I can use, uh, either in the rain, uh, or more importantly, kind of to fly off of puddles or ponds that we have in the area. Um, <clears throat> so I also tried to fly the spruce goose. We talked about that. I got to the point where I was testing it and it was do I was doing the wiring and that took forever to get me to kind of figure out how to get it to work. So I I did it and I tested it and it was all the motors were going and it looked great. And it was coming up off the, you know, off the thing as I tested it, I brought it out to the field and it started turning, I think, right. And no matter how much left rudder, it would just keep trying to turn right, which means the motors were spinning at different speeds. No matter how much I tried to set the throttle values for the ESCs. So I would, I would turn everything on. I'd set the throttle to the top to basically say, Hey man, before we get going, I want you to know which is my top throttle and what's my bottom. So what's the range. 
Mm-hmm. And I want to do that for all the eight ESCs that are in that plane. So I did that. And then I would get it set. Okay, good. All the all the ESCs, beep, 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 beep. You know, eight of them all at once. Or yeah, I remember staggered. hearing that thing fire up over oh, uh, the party channel. <laughs> yeah, it's like Christmas, right? Um, it's crazy. So <laughs> It's crazy. Uh, so I got those set. And then so I'm like, okay, maybe this will fix it. And I ran it up and I tried a bunch of different times. Um, there is tons of power and it's more than enough to have the plane take off. It, it feels, even though it's kind of heavy with all that stuff. And I'm, I'm using, I think, 5,000 milliamp three cell battery in there. So it's pretty heavy, but mm-hmm. uh, this plane wants to take off so bad, but it's too busy doing circles. And I can't figure out why. (laughs) (laughs) So I realized I'm like, okay, okay, how do I fix this? Uh, Do I want to undo all the wiring and rewire it? And my short answer is, oh, gosh, no, please don't. Yeah, because let me cut in for a second. I saw that over, you know, our Discord (laughs) chat. And, uh, buddy, that's that's some interesting wiring going on in there right now. Yeah, I don't know how to tidy it. I don't even, I can't even think of how. I would love to have it tidy, but I'm not so confident in my soldering that I can just, I don't know. Anyway, point is, is I'm going to have to desolder every one of those ESCs and kind of reset it up, um, which isn't terrible, but I don't know. I'm going to have to figure it out. It's going to be time. Right. It's going to be time and it's going to have to have inspiration for me to do it. So, uh, as we, I had a ton of other things. I had the April showers challenge. I was finishing up reviewing all the, the build jewelry stuff. And plus I have a lot of things, other projects I want to do too. A lot of builds. Um, let, let's see, uh, I'm building my full version of the synergy, uh, synergy. If you look it up, it's a box tail wing plane, look up synergy plane, really amazing plane. Um, very beautiful. Uh, I built somebody, um, had the same idea I did almost at the same time. And he put together like a very small size. And I'm by small size, I mean about 30 inch wingspan. Um, he put together a quick, dirty version of it, like a flight test version, kind of boxy, wow. but it flies great. It's awesome. I, I love it. And so I'm doing the master build series version where it's a curved pod. It's a series of sections that create a laminar flow around the outside it's the curved over wings it's a full full box bar and i think the full uh it's somewhere around a 50 to 60 inch span Goodness. wing so it's it's a big mamma jamma it's going to be a c c pack motor if not bigger um so i was working on that uh oh i also did the uh, i was talking to dr looping louis which is one of the members of the forums he's out of germany we were just talking because we were both sitting at home doing work or not, um, depending on who you were. Like he was uh, home from school. So he was like, oh, what do I do? So he was building planes and he was going, hey, what are you doing now? I'm like, I'm working, but, you know, we can chat. So we chatted and uh, I was talking about wanting to put together a plane that'd be good, uh, slow enough for indoors uh, with a kind of existing setup. He's like, dude, do you have the Speedster? He was making a biplane. So the Speedster is like an old mini, micro, like mighty mini plane from Flight Test, mm-hmm. way back in the beginning of it all. And it's just a, a simple um, bent bent wing, like an undercambered 
one crease wing. You basically build two of them. And it, it has a dual dihedral. You, you build two of the wings and you set one on top of the other with with uh, popsicle uh, barbecue skewers. <clears throat> and you put a little APAC motor in the front like an 1806. And off you go. Uh, and it, it's slow. And it has a lot of lift. And it flies great. It's responsive. And it's a lot of fun. So um, it's one I could see easily working inside a gymnasium. Um, although it's, it'll be a little tight, but it should be a lot of fun to kind of go around hoops. Um, and let's see. And then I also uh, I had a design for an S3B Viking, which is a Navy aircraft carrier type plane. That's like a workhorse. And that that's a whole story in and of itself. But suffice it to say, I was inspired by... Um, a colleague who um, is an ex-Navy pilot, and he's flown probably every single plane you could fly onto or off of an aircraft carrier. And that's essentially where he worked, was mm -hmm. on the aircraft carrier, making sure the planes went in and out. He said he did uh, 30, 34 landings and 33 catapults in an hour. So 33 takeoffs and 34 landings. I think is how we put it in an hour. That's just one of those where they do the run, where they basically get shot off the front end. They come around and they land. They can put on the catapult again. They get shot off the front and they just keep doing that and see how many they can do in an hour. Now he was in the cockpit on that. Yeah. He's yeah. He's a flying. I've got that's, a bunch of pictures of him flying. Yeah. That's actually a, uh, a testament too to the ground crew that yeah. was uh, supporting to, to get that deck transformed from landing to flight mode or landing to launch mode that quick right right and he says that that's that's part of the challenge that's that's part of what he was doing was to make sure that the ground crew you know has that has that under the belts because when when things are hitting the fan and they've got to launch nearly the entire flight uh all, all the planes that are in in the aircraft carrier they got to launch them that kind of quick Right. And so the ground crew's got to be ready, and you're right. It is an absolute testament to that. So I designed that with that inspiration, knowing that there's a guy out there who's like, that's his favorite plane. He's like, dude, if you build that plane, I'll come out and watch you maiden it, and we'll fly it together. I'll, you take me on a ride. This is going to be awesome. Like, and he, he just, he was all supportive. He, he, was, he was one of those guys who's like, I take my hat off to you RC pilots. I know I'm a pilot, and you guys think it's awesome. And like, yeah, it's cool, but it's like driving a bus, you know, it's a fast mm. bus and it's complex, but it's still bus. And he goes, you guys are standing on the ground looking at something that's not even going the direction you're going and you're getting it to do acrobatics without even blinking an eye. That's crazy. You know, you're greasing landings from perspective, like you don't even have perspective. The thing's flying in the sky, you have no idea where it really is. And yet you're still doing all these great maneuvers. Like you guys are doing something that's just very difficult and you know my hat's off to you so he goes yeah i'd love to see one i'd love to see you build one and see it fly and yeah it'll be a lot of fun so i was like okay uh so i had the design for a while and i figured it's time to build it and then lastly uh i have that volantix asw 28 the one i almost crashed into your car yeah um yeah gave us gave um, us both a scare yeah ain't that the truth well, so uh, after that crash, I ended up fixing it up. It didn't take a whole lot to do. It was actually a good way to test a couple methods of, of repairs. Um, 
And then I'm going around and I'm I just got a, I had flying around like normal. It was pretty just fun. There was a couple of days I had been doing that already, uh, enjoying the plane itself. And then I was like, you know, I want to do a speed run. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna bring it all the way up in the sky, and I'm gonna let it do a nose dive. And just about like maybe a hundred feet up, I'm gonna pull it into level, and I'm gonna have it go zooming across at eye level. It's gonna be awesome. You know, as fast as it can let it go, right? Is this one of those? That was a really good idea in my head. <laughs> yeah. So what happened is, as I tried to pull it out of the nosedive, the force from the plane going so fast and me trying to throw it to full throws to get the tail to, to kind of rotate down to be level, mm -hmm. the elevator servo couldn't pull that kind of torque, which means it didn't deflect. Not nearly enough, right. which means I got about to maybe 15% off of dead down. Oh, man. And and that's how it hit the ground. So it was almost non-responsive at that point. It, exactly. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, ah. Oh. So here's a testament to, to Volantics, okay? There's a couple things that I had gripes with the kit in general, but the fuselage is still in one piece. The motor okay. still works. I I think I smoked the ESC. No, I busted the battery. The ESC's still fine. You um, busted the battery and didn't lose the whole thing? Uh, no, it just poked a hole. So it didn't actually, like, uh, short it out or anything. Uh, but at that point, I took the battery out of service. It's just, I, I don't trust trying to recharge it, you know? Right. Um, and at that point, I think it was at, like, storage cell. So it's clearly, I've got to bring it back to the batteries plus to to get rid of it. And we'll we'll probably cover that stuff next episode. But anyway, so I'm sitting there going, like, oh, my God, I just destroyed, like, the one plane I can always just grab and go. Because it's always awesome. And I just busted the crap out of it. And, and I did. I mean, I busted the canopy. Uh, I messed up the tail. And a bunch of the surfaces kind of came off and... But most of it is actually a lot more fixable than I thought it was going to be. Okay. Um, it's an incredibly sturdy craft. It had no business surviving that craft. I'm going to say, <laughs> thank God uh, the farmer had just tilled the fields. Okay. Um, so the, the ground was incredibly soft and, and light and loamy. Um, and I did manage to get it to at least a slight angle. So it wasn't all just terminal velocity into the ground like a missile. So how many cartwheels did it do? None. That's nope. the problem. <laughs> it just, <laughs> it just kind of arrow into the ground. Thunk. Yep. And the wings flexed in a way I didn't think that foam and, <laughs> and that plane is supposed to flex, which I'm pretty sure it's not. Um, but it, it came back and it survived it for the most part. I have, a, a again, a couple of the trailing edges and, and control surfaces I have to attach better or reattach. But uh, again, uh, so my hat's off to Volantex for coming up with some of the most sturdy craft to handle the dumbest thing I could have ever thought to do. <laughs> Pardon me. Oh, man. Yeah. Anyway, so that's it makes me sad. Um, it's just like today I, I took out Tony the Tiger. Right. That's the um, Explorer. And I mm -hmm. had it flying around, and it was not handling itself right. The wingtips have been messed up quite a bit. 
um, over the years of, or over the months of hitting it. Um, just like today, I'm bringing it in and it's coming in at kind of an angle. And it's, again, it's very gusty because of those, uh, the, the updrafts. Right. So it's kind of coming up and then going down. And so I'm like kind of adjusting the throttle and trying to like, occasionally the wingtip will just pick up. And so it's starting to throw it across the field, you know, it's starting to come at me. I'm like, oh, cool. Well, no, that's all right. I'll, I'll rudder it over. And I'm it's trying to correcting for it. And it's coming around on the ground. And it's coming like right in front. And there's nobody out in the field. It's just me. Um, it's near dusk. And it comes right in front of all the control stations and goes right into the two poles that are cemented into the ground <laughs> <laughs> that hold the big planes. Like, again, this is a giant scale yard. So they put the big planes that need, uh, that have the gassers and they rev up the motor and they get it running and they, they check the motor, but those poles are cemented in the ground. So the plane doesn't go anywhere. Right. And that way you don't have to be in the back of the plane, holding the tail in place. So the, the plane doesn't take off accidentally and you could fiddle with the motor. Um, so, so my that glider plane, the the uh, Explorer, smacked into that and kind of went back and forth a couple of different times, and all it did was mess up the wingtip a little bit. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, incredibly sturdy. I was like, oh nice. Uh, that one I have a carbon fiber rod going through the entire wing. Nah, that um, helps. So that helps a lot. Uh, I think it was just purely foam board. It would have been busted by now. But uh, again, I, it's one of those planes where everybody's like, oh yeah, you. You go through planes left and right. I'm like, well, sort of, but I repair them. Like, I've got yeah. planes from three, four years ago. They still fly okay. You got planes not... for days, man. Uh, it, well, that's, yeah, that's true. <laughs> we won't get into that. It's, <laughs> it makes a lot of people unhappy, I think. Um, people <laughs> come to my house and be like, aren't you supposed to be doing, uh, like, why do you have so many planes? Like, yeah, that does make me unhappy. Um, I know, right? <laughs> uh so before, but I guess it, before we get out of the, uh, what have we been doing? Um, I think it was last episode. Uh, you said that you had a plane that you built. Um, and you ended up utilizing the, uh, shaft and slot wing mount that I was, uh, considering for oh, the glider yeah. build. What's going on with that plane? How's that worked out for you? Oh man, I haven't done anything to it. That is another um, anime plane. It is a Miyazaki movie from Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind. It's the Bumble Crow, and it's like a tiny scale. The Bumble Crow is like a massive transport plane. Imagine like a C seventeen, right? Mm -hmm. That's the kind of scale. It's even bigger, I think, if you were to put it the imaginary plane next to the real one, right? Um, but it's on that order. Um, I just left it where it was because okay. I need to cut out a ton of circles uh, and I need to do the throw tests. So um, when I start doing like the CG testing and the actual like flight testing of it, I always shy away from that because I've had such bad luck and I love the way that plane looks. I don't want to bust it, but really? I should just get off my ass and do it. Just load, load the nose up so that balance is where it's supposed to um, and just start heaving it. And I, what I need to do is find some tall grass that I can heave it into. Yeah, because that would soften it. Yeah, and then I could then I could confidently try a bunch of different things and, and uh, actually find the CG before it gets destroyed. That's That tends to be where my issue is. Like if I don't have the CG really close, 
which generally you can get pretty close, but sometimes it's not. Um, and if it isn't, your crashes are really hard. And I think most of the foam board, no matter how light it is, can only take about three or four crashes before stuff doesn't start. It, it doesn't work right anymore. Right. And you should probably just rebuild it. So, um, yeah, I need to find a soft field to throw it towards. Some tall grass. Uh, so right now it's stalled. It's not gone. It's still in the other room. Um, okay. But it's uh, it's on the table of one of these minutes. I will spend time with it, and it will be what it needs to be. I was just curious. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that one was going for you. Yeah, the Bumble Crow is at a stall, but uh, much like uh, much like almost every single project I've had, where I get to a point, and if it didn't succeed, oftentimes I've got to pause, or either I'm at a point where it's going to destroy the plane if it fails, right? Mm-hmm. So at that point, I kind of hold up, I take a deep breath, I get myself psyched up, and then I go go for it. So I'm in that pause mode for like the spruce goose, um, uh, for the foam, foamy bird of time, uh, the bumble crow. Those are examples. Okay. Um, but that's just how I operate. And what, what, so that means that I end up having about like six or seven projects that are in various stages of being completed at any given moment. Okay. That's been a lot. It's been a long time. It has. <laughs> you ready to get time. into it though? Yeah, man, let's do it. We're looking to talk today uh, about motors, um, basically the the drivetrain of our uh, aviation system. So our our airplanes, uh, even helicopters or anything you throw into the air, typically, if it's RC, it's typically has some kind of motor system, uh, unless it's a free flight glider. And um, so... Motors can be really confusing. They're they're super important, <clears throat> but they can be really confusing because there's a, a lot to them. And they all, there's a bunch of random numbers. Um, like if you know what a 2306, 2300 KV with a 12P14N is, then you probably don't need to listen to the episode. But if you do, uh, if you do need help with that, that's kind of what this episode's about. So we're going to start um, with, uh, we're going to really just cover two basic kinds of electric motors. We're going to cover brush and we're going to cover brushless. Um, we're going to start with the definitions um, and work to brushed. And that's going to cover a lot of the bases. And we're going to use those bases to go into what's most commonly used in RC aircraft, uh, the brushless motor. And so I'm going to lean on Joe because Joe has got some pretty good experience with brushed and he has also been making sure that all the things that he's got in his noggin are in tune with the rest of the world. So I'm going to leave it to him. Joe, Joe, what should we know about brushed motors? Um, okay. So I won't speak too highly of my brush motor experience, uh, as this is the first RC hobby <clears throat> that yeah, I've gotten you- into. But you've got like you know power tools and stuff. Those are brushless brush motors, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, they are. Um, I've done some work with them, uh, but definitely not on the level that I'm doing 
that I'm working with motors here. Like I've, I, <laughs> I guess I have torn a brushed motor apart, but I wouldn't have known what I was looking at at the right. time. Um, so you I weren't go going ahead. down the, you weren't going down. Sorry, you weren't going down internet rabbit holes in the process yeah. of taking it apart, were you? Yeah, no. Well, at the time that I was, uh, yeah, that would have mattered to me uh, before I got into other things in my childhood. Uh, we mm-hmm. were still on dial-up, so uh, that <laughs> research on uh, random topics was limited at that time. Anyway, um, <laughs> good. <laughs> we're dating ourselves, Matthew. That's okay. Um, so, brush motors, and I'm gonna go ahead and preface this with: I have done, I've done some reading, I've done some research, I have watched some videos, and I have uh, listened to another podcast that covered this topic. Um, and so I don't, I would not be able to directly say this is where I read this from, or this is where I heard this at, um, in conjunction with <clears throat> some of the knowledge that I already had about them. But I will go ahead, uh, because I did listen to an episode and they had some good information in there, I'm going to go ahead and uh, call out the RC Plane Lab. Um, Ron and I, uh, Ron being one of the hosts at RC Plane Lab, and I have been exchanging emails and talking about podcasting. Um, <clears throat> and they had some really good information in their episode 20 regarding uh, electric motors, uh, ESCs, and how to choose some of that stuff. So uh, they end up covering some of the same stuff we did. We were kind of chuckling about that in the email chain uh, as uh, as we were talking about stuff. Yeah, um, I I listened to their episode 20 as well as kind of happenstance and went, Oh my God, they just covered the things that we're going to start talking about too. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it, it was interesting to hear how they approached it. Uh, they have um, maybe a different tact on it, but it's all the same information. So if what we say doesn't make any sense, uh, go listen to theirs. Maybe, maybe what they say says it in a way you'll, you'll understand. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, either way, you can't go too terribly wrong. Yeah. And uh, I'll be honest, nothing does it like seeing a uh, an animated uh, image in front of you. So to that point, uh, as much as possible, and I don't have links to them right this second, so I'm not going to say, hey, here's a link to this, go check the show notes for it. But we'll have some links to stuff that you guys can check out um, and hopefully be able to follow along as we're talking about this. Also, um, I want to reference uh, two videos specifically because I enjoy the channel. It's Electro Boom as a YouTube channel. Uh, I enjoy the way that he dives into stuff. I think he's an electrical engineer, uh, but he really covered. I, I watched two of his videos twice over to uh, kind of understand some of the stuff, and it's still a, a bit of uh, a bit of what black magic as far as uh, how some of this stuff works, but. Um, I'll have links to the two videos that I was uh, referenced or that I was looking at for uh, some detailed information in there. I would encourage you to go look at those and listen to RC Plane Lab just because it's all good information. That said, uh, just as a heads up, Electro Boom, uh, the language barrier is a little looser uh, on that channel. So where we try to uh, keep things PG rated, uh, if you've got you know kids maybe. You know, watch it first. It's nothing terrible, but if you're uncomfortable with that, watch it first before you let your kid watch it. Okay, um, brushed motors. So, as much as I understand brushed and brushless, brushed, uh, brushless motors 
have a lot of the same components and operate very similarly to brushed, which is why we're going to start here. Even though we don't use a lot of brushed in this hobby, um, I know they utilize brushed motors in uh, RC trucks and cars, uh, potentially even uh, the lower end quadcopters. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And even uh, the FT uh, Easy Stem package uh, uses DC motors. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so they're, they're brushed... present in the hobby, but it's not prevalent. Right. Um, so brush motors, typically DC tra uh, DC driven. Um, they are they are called brush motors because they utilize brushes. Uh, to transfer the electricity to the coils. So let's go through some parts. Uh, brush motors are going to have, uh, typically they'll have the permanent magnets, although some motors will have electromagnets on the stator. Uh, the stator, which is the stationary bit of the motor, typically the outside of the motor. Um, the rotor, which is going to be typically the inside uh, component of the motor. The rotor is what actually turns. Uh, another term that sometimes gets or often gets attached to rotor is the armature, uh, which becomes more important when we're talking about the coils. Um, the shaft is attached to the rotor. Rotor turns the shaft. Shaft connects to whatever you're trying to drive. <clears throat> Excuse me. The commutator which is going to be interesting to talk about, but it is essentially what the brushes touch up against to transfer the electricity to the coils. The coils being the copper wire that's wound around the armatures. And then your brushes, which, interestingly enough, and, that, and I remember listening to the RC Plane Lab and they were talking about it, and I, I'm going to pull from there when they say uh, the brushes are not called brushes because they have bristles. And when we but were... That's what I thought. Yeah. I thought I thought there were a bunch of like little little paintbrushes somewhere in the motor. And they it, just sort of wore down. Yeah, in as much as that might be uh what is how it's named. Uh I don't I think I imagine that'd be problematic for <laughs> the actual function of the motor. So the brushes are uh really solid pieces of conductive material that come into contact with the commutator. Uh, the commutator is uh, multiple bits of metal, um, conductive material, that go around the shaft. The brushes touch up against those, and electricity is transferred from the brushes to the commutator. And the commutator, each commutator, is electrically isolated from each other commutator. So they go around the shaft of the motor, but they're separated from each other so that when you're touching one and touching another electrically, they're not sending signal between each other to get to the other one. Um, motor goes in through, uh, sorry, electricity goes in through the brushes to the commutator. From the commutator, then we get into the coils. Now, your coils are your uh, typically copper wire that connects from the uh, various the various commutators around the shaft. They connect to the commutator wrap around the armature or the arms of the rotor uh, to form the coils and then return to a separate commutator. Now this was one that I was not aware of, but a coil does not 
go from a commutator as a wire, do its loops, and then go back to that commutator, or go to the commutator on the opposite side of the shaft. It goes to the next commutator on the uh, the next one over. And those so that as the motor turns, uh, the brushes then are in contact with one or two commutators at a time, and that controls how electricity is flowing through the coils. Um, yeah, so your rotator, sorry, your rotor is rotating within the stator, which is typically with a DC brush so, motor, your outside casing of the motor. Commutator is at the back end, which all the coils tie into, brushes so that brush up that, against. The commutator would be near the, uh, near the back end, near the, uh, where the screws screw in and anchor the, typically. the, uh, the case basically, and the yeah. case remains stationary. Mm-hmm. Okay, correct. And I know with brushless motors, you have your in runners and out runners, which I'm sure I know you'll talk about. But with DC motors, to my knowledge, DC brush motors, sorry, I didn't see any real examples of uh, motor brush motors that had outside components that spun around. I'm sure it's possible. That just wasn't in any examples that came up on my end. Um, right. It it's not. Um, most of the brushed motors, I think, in the RC hobby, are predominantly um, in runners. Mm-hmm. Uh, the advantage of an out runner is that you get a higher mass spinning. Like the mass is further away from the the shaft point, creating a a higher torque, basically, uh, a force mm-hmm. at a distance. Um, that's your torque. So. The, the there's more mass spinning further away, so it creates more torque. So that's the advantage of using maybe an outrunner, but and that's part yeah. of the reason. Well, well, we'll get into it, but part of the reason why a lot of people go towards brushless. But uh, in brushed motors, it, the typical is the in runner. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's that's perfectly <laughs> fine. Um, an outrunner and in runner just strictly defines which part of the motor is actually turning. Um, so those are the parts and a little bit of how that energy is transferred. When you're looking at images of this, uh, I would actually, you know, highly suggest looking at either animated or a video representation of it. So you really get a grasp mm-hmm. of how that, how the rotor is turning and the commutators around the shaft are then turning and coming into contact with the brushes. Um, some who have, uh heard people talk about brushed motors, may have heard about brushes being replaced. Uh, brush motors, the brushes are literally brushing against the commutator part of the motor. So as that motor's turning, uh, it's a friction point. It's actually a touch contact. And so as the motor's turning, when the brush uh, is you know, slipping and sliding on that on that uh, commutator. So there's friction that's going on there where it's wearing down the brushes uh, physically, but also as the connections move from one commutator to the next, as that motor's turning, there is arcing that'll occur. And that one always mystified me when I used a power drill. Uh, now, that, now that I'm thinking back <clears throat> in, uh, in the past, um, I would use Dad's old power drills and I don't see it too much in mine. Maybe my brushes are still 
running in decent shape. Uh, but uh, his his old power drills, I grab hold of and go to go to run it and do some drilling, and you could look in through the uh, the cooling vents in the back of the drill, and you just mm-hmm. see this blue this electric blue arcing going on inside. Yeah, and yeah, that's sparking. Be, yeah, that <laughs> tells you that something's going on. It's on um, fire, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually where the brushes, which again are stationary, uh, are coming into and out of contact with the commutator around the shaft as that ro- uh, rotor in the shaft are turning. Oh, okay. the commutator's turning. So as they're coming into contact and losing contact with the different points on the commutator, um, yeah, I might have misplaced a word there, but as all that's happening, is coming, the brushes are coming into and losing contact with the commutators. They're arcing. Right. Um, and and of course, that would potentially degrade the connectivity of the commutator over time. Uh, potentially. Probably. I'm sure it's very little, but still, yeah. it's, it's another well, point of wear on the motor, right? Right. More of the damage that occurs is to the brushes. Right. And that is, anytime you have electrical arcing, there's damage to the material. Um. Mm-hmm. I would imagine, and it's not unlike welding. I mean, that's part it's of what welding is, especially if you're doing arc welding. So yeah. I, I can't point you to any paper that says this. Um, I'm pulling a bit, you know, from behind me on this one, but I would imagine <laughs> that as that arcing is occurring, you're, uh, you're, you're roughing up the surface of that brush, and mm-hmm. then as it continues to turn and move, that roughness is now almost like sandpaper, so there's brush, you know, there's way additional wear that's going on because of the arcing. Right. Um, now, some brush motors you can replace the brushes in. It depends on how it's built. Uh, others can't. But uh, if you've ever had, say, your, you know, if you're your age, Matthew. Joe, you know, you Joe met- if you've got a saw, you can get to the inside of those brushes. You I'm can. just kidding. And- I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, I mean, a lot I, of them have... I would imagine. A lot of them have tabs on the can that you have to basically bend back, bend out to allow access. Mm-hmm. And some of them are screwed so that you, they're designed so you can get into them. Because as a brushed motor, that's going to be one of the only things that wears uh, fast in the motor. So if you can get in and replace them, you've essentially restored um, your yeah. motor back to almost new. And you can run it for another lifetime, essentially. Because uh, of the parts that wear, that's going to happen far faster than any other part in, in the motor itself, as I understand it. Is uh, that right? That is true, up to the point that the bearing fails. And I know I didn't mm-hmm. list the bearing. <clears throat> I know I didn't list the bearing in the uh, parts list, but the bearing uh, in a brush motor that has bearings is uh, what allows the shaft to turn and holds it in place now you also have um with brush motors you could have uh one without bearings which deals more with a uh it's a bushing i think a a coupling a a bushing yeah it's a bushing the the problem with bushings is that they're going to wear and then you get some wiggle right which Um, which could be at fifty thousand rpms or whatever some of these uh in small end runners, that's the other benefit of an end runner, right? It has low inertia, so you can spin the dickens out of it. So you you can spin it really fast, but if it's mm-hmm. got a lot of wiggle, that's gonna that's gonna destroy your motor pretty fast. If 
if it's wiggling around a bunch at 50,000 yeah. RPMs. Oh, yeah. Get something out of balance and uh, <laughs> at those speeds. Yeah, it's all she wrote. Um, so when we were talking about, oh, well, the, I guess we can talk about the, the magnetic fields, which is essentially what drives a uh, a motor. <clears throat> the the mixture of the brushes, the commutator, and the coils. Again, the coils be the copper wire coming off the commutator, wrapping around the armature arm, and then returning to the next commutator over. That coil um, is an electrical coil. When electricity passes through it, it um, infers, I suppose, a, a an electric charge, an electric field, into the material that it is coiled around. In this case, the uh, the armature arm, part of the rotor. Um, that electric field that is being generated within the rotor, inside that coil, is then acting upon the electric field, the electromagnetic field that's being generated by the two per typically permanent magnets, uh, right. sometimes electromagnetic uh, electromagnets that are on the outer stator, or on the stator itself. So there's a f electromagnetic field that's passing through the motor between those magnets, if, assuming we're talking about a two-magnet uh, motor here. There's an electromagnetic field that's passing through the motor, and when you then induce a electromagnetic field from the coils into the armature arm, that then causes the armature to act on that field. There's a push and pull that occurs. Um, right. One could one could say on a simple level that the armature arm becomes magnetized and is attracted to right. the magnet the, on the stator. Which right, is the, how the south pole of the permanent magnet is attracted to the northern effective northern pole of the induced magnetic field. That's where everybody thinks about it, typically. And for the purposes of understanding, that's not, is not too far it, from being right. It, it's um, accurate enough to, to work with it. Right. What's actually it, happening is the, the poles of the armature do not, they don't orient quite, quite that way and this is getting this is getting to that level that i don't have a, a firm grasp on so mm -hmm. i'm going to talk about some stuff and then reference uh some video the two video materials specifically uh the dc motor video that i've linked because he talks about it uh, uh -huh. in, in much better terms than i can um but when you induce that current or you indu induce that magnetic field into the armature arm the plane, the magnetic, the plane that that magnetic field is on is different right, the, than the you mean plane. The, is that the in and out plane? Like, so along the stator arm? Is that the plane you're referring to, or is it more <laughs> the horizontal yeah. plane? Let's just say that they're out of plane of each other, because I'm not entirely sure which direction that plane faces. What I do Fair know enough. is okay. that <laughs> what I do know is that the field being generated and it depends on which way you're looking at vertical, horizontal, and all that. 
Okay, just right. know that know that the two are not on the same plane. They're not angled the same. And when that occurs, uh, and you'd have to look. I think it's is it the Lorenz law that is the left the left hand with the three fingers pointing middle finger mm-hmm. one direction, mm-hmm. pointer finger straight out, thumb up. You know that comes into play uh, to tell you which way the field's going. But essentially, on one side of the one side of the uh, stator arm is being pulled up. The other one's being pushed down. And it's the same stator arm. Oh, sorry, not stator arm. Armature arm. One's being pu- pulled up, one's being pushed down, and that induces the rotation that you see. Again, that that's sort of the, the level I don't have a ton of grasp yeah. on, but I saw it and I was like, I really oh. wish I could grasp that one. So I could explain it. Uh, but definitely without um, getting a better idea of it myself, and then having okay. uh, it, it's one that I would almost have to see somebody in person to to walk them through it because it's going to be hard to say. And then this picture, yeah, um, magnetic fields are. That, I mean, that's obviously its own detailed field of study, and obviously critical to how all of these motors work. By by inducing current as a coil around a piece of metal, it induces the effectiveness of a north-south of a permanent magnet, sort mm-hmm. of. Like, it's not directly, but indirectly it is, right? Because it's orienting the free electron fields in the iron core, iron alloy core of the yeah. stator, and those are the, what's creating the north and south pole The push. armature. Right. It's the armature, right. I'm sorry. Right. No, it's right. fine. No, I'm, no, just, I'm doing no. my best to keep. You're good. Part You're good in the right position. Um, it's it's crazy. It's cool. It's awesome, and it's it's nice to finally because we've gone so deep. It's nice to get a handle on it because I don't know. It used to be I don't know. I anchored the thing. And I put stuff in it, and it spins a lot, and that's yeah. cool. You know, and, <laughs> it is, and uh, you know. I remember making the the childhood science experiment where I took a um, I took a, a length of copper wire and wound it into a circle and then like wrapped that around the ends and then had the two wire, copper pieces sticking out and then yeah so you had a, a, shaft a copper circle with two you know copper wires sticking out one on each end and you set that on uh, conductors that had a little slot cut into them so that you set the wire down onto there and then you took all mm-hmm. that and hooked it up to a battery right typically double a and when you connected they spun um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know that said there may have been something else involved in that because now that i'm thinking about it that would oh. that would result in nothing happening anybody uh, could look up probably uh stem uh copper wire motor or something mm-hmm. And it'll probably come up with something very similar and see how to make it yourself. Um, but yeah, it's the, it's the same idea. I think I, my neighbor across the street had said, hey, you're an engineer. You come over and check this out. See if you can help my daughter do that exact experiment. And I'm like, I'm not electrical. I'm a, I'm a civil <laughs> guy. Like if it's a structure and you don't want it to break, I'm your guy. That's electricity. She's like, yeah, but you work for the power company. I'm like, 
aha, that's a misnomer. <laughs> I work <laughs> for the company, but I do not understand what we do. Uh, that's not entirely true. I do. Um, and I right. was able to help her, but <laughs> it's, I'm with you, man. This is, um, you know, we're, uh, to me, it's, we're a step away from it being magic in my head. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. Like magnets are just, I know they shouldn't be, but magnets in general, not electromagnets. I get, like, I can get electromagnets because right. there is power going into the system, therefore an effect is happening. Right. Permanent magnets are like, what is this magic? Why? Like, <laughs> is that not yes. a force that needs fueling? Like, what's happening there? Yeah, how how um, is that just there? Yeah, but I get <laughs> that, again, magnetism is electro magnetism so there's something on the atomic level yes. that's happening it is so yeah. i get it but i started out in college as an electrical engineer uh but i only took a semester and then for so uh sorry. potential opportunities uh that i was looking at at the time i switched uh i needed to switch my major and i switched to business so i'm actually a business major um but now, i was raised now i'm doubly sorry yeah, I, <laughs> I was raised as jack of all trades, so I, I get no, some things. And this, I this I definitely went in and did some research on. Um, and there's a couple more points to cover with this one. Okay, um, well, let's see if we can hear it. Yeah. So one of the things that you and I talked about when we were discussing motors, especially brushless motors, mm -hmm. <clears throat> was with the with the rotor with the armature. Um, there was. The rotors and armatures, and you're referencing a magazine, I know, so I'll let you... We'll get into that when we get there, yeah. Um, but the rotor or armature is made up of multiple, many, many, many thin plates of iron or iron ore. Uh, sorry, iron uh, alloy. composite alloy. There we go. Yeah, we'll, uh, I have a, a list of actually what... It's an iron-nickel alloy. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's thin plates of that that are cut identically stacked that make, that make up the armature. Now, each of these plates are electrically isolated from each other such that they do not conduct across each other. Um, and that mm -hmm. is handled by a laminate... Um, could be a lacquer or you you referenced a dielectric dielectric uh, dielectric just means it doesn't conduct electricity that's all oh so you look at you using these fancy terms well that's what happens when you work with electrical engineers for too long <laughs> <laughs> i'm over here looking at food costs man <laughs> uh, i know right it, look according oh. to according to the magazine and we'll get into the details of like specifically what it's ama magazine but uh, specifically to this article they're saying that each of the sheets is 0.2 millimeters thick so just so you get a handle on how how many plates that means your your you know ten yeah, millimeter a ton motor is there's a ton of them yeah uh point two millimeter five uh five to a millimeter ten millimeter rotor would be fifty but then you gotta take into account your uh laminate distance and in as much as they want to electrically isolate those the the various plates they also want them as tightly packed as they can be. So they get right. as much of that, um, what we're going to talk about in a minute, but for, well, you get as much of the magnetic field as you can, or as many of those. So they got to be close, but not touching. So instead of 50, well, you might have 
40. Not electrically touching, right? So that that can be accomplished with as simple as a just a spray coating. So the it's a millimeter, it's a micron thick th- coating on each of each of the layers that's creating this electric mm. separation. So it's not much. So thankfully, but um, right. but it still needs to be there because without it, you're you're hosed. Right. Um. Yeah. So the question and why we were why we were looking at that and we found that interesting is we were why are they multiple plates? Why yeah. are they all these individual plates separated, stacked together? You know, individually laminated but stacked together. Why not just one solid core? Exactly. And. Good question. In doing the research for that, <laughs> bear with me on this one, Matthew. No, in doing the ahead, research please. on that, the the other part of the uh, conversation that came up was, well, why is it an a, um, a uh, conductive material? Why would we not use a non-conductive material for the armature? Uh, could we not just use something else? And so, in my googling. Um, I actually came across an interesting thread, which was, why don't we use wood for making armatures? And I was like, okay, it's not cast iron or anything like that that's non-conductive, but wood, you know, wood works. Why Why don't we use wood? Um, and then once I read the answer, I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. Um, the The magnetic field that the motor is using to induce the, to, to turn itself is not the magnetic field that's coming off of the wires themselves. So when electricity flows through a wire, you do get a small uh, magnetic field off of it. When you wrap those wires, you can then, into a coil, you can then stack those uh, stack those fields and get a stronger field. But right. what's more it, it important, amplifies the effect. Right. And what's more important is to get those get that field to drive a bigger field in a conductive material, something that can be magnetized. Um, And so those coils wrapped around the armature arms are then inducing a larger magnetic field in that armature arm than just the wires themselves would have. Plus it gives the wire something to attach to. Mm -hmm. But if you use just wood, for the armature, you really wouldn't have anywhere near as powerful a motor because you're relying on the electric field generated by the wires, not Alone. the electric field that you're right, not the electric field that you're inducing into the rotor in, or the armature arm. So, and so the material that the the electric coil, the copper wire, is wound around is also adding to that magnetic field that's generated by the current in the wire. Yes. So we're stacking, we're effectively, right. We're effectively stacking the effect of the magnetic field induced by the elect, the, the flow of electricity through the motor itself, through the, Mm -hmm. through the, your, your, I want to say stator, but through, right. Because stator staying still. That's where the wires are wrapped around. Is that true? No. Okay, right. In the DC, it's that it's like the opposite, right? Uh, yeah. So yeah, in your brushless build, the stator has the copper coils, right? Okay. So, but but where the copper coils are, the coils are making a field, 
And that mm-hmm. field is creating a field from the iron that it's wrapped around. So the iron itself is generating a field because, because everything of... in the iron is aligning to the field. So it's adding its own magnetism, induced magnetism to the field that's already that's being generated. So the two of them are working together to make a stronger field. I want to say yes. But gotcha. Okay. That, that's that is getting to just right there at that point that I'm not at. I'm, I'm with you. Um, but in so that explains why we have to use a conductive material, not you know wood. Which again, now we'll look at it, I'm like why? Why did I click on that link? I should have known better. But <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, I feel dumb for just bringing that one up. But you know what? Since we're on the conversation, no, let's go deep, man. Yeah, let's. Uh, why can't we use wood? Oh, well, that makes sense by its nature. Uh, a rotor and arm, a rotor slash armature arm needs to be conductive to be able to uh, accept and generate that that uh, magnetic field. Um. Okay, so we now know why it's why it's an iron core. Is, yeah, but why, but are why is it plates? many plates? Yeah, what what the heck's yeah. with that? Um, and this one is also sort of right there at the edge of I kind of get it, but I largely I kind of don't. So when you induce a magnetic field in a conductive material, so let's now we keep reference an armature arm, and again when I say an armature arm, I'm talking. You've got the the rotor, the rotor, the turning bit. The armature arm is the arm that sticks out that the copper coil is wrapped around. That's the arm part of that armature. Right. When you induce a when you induce an electromagnetic field in the armature arm, that's then allow that's then going to act on the magnetic fields generated by the permanent magnets positioned on the stator. Once the motor turns far enough or spins far enough that the commutators then disconnect from the brushes. For for a very small split second, right? uh, Depending on the speed of the motor, yes. I mean, it's it's really fast anyway. We'd never be able to detect it, but it's it's enough where it's separating the one field generated by when it hits the next commutator, what, what happens? So depending on how many... Depending on how many, um, I don't want to say phases, poles. but how many poles. coils, <laughs> poles, sure. How many uh, coils you're working with, how many uh, sets of coils you're engaging at one time uh-huh. uh, will determine how long a coil is disconnected. Now, obviously at high speed, you know, it's really fast regardless of if you have three coils or if you're running, you know, a hundred coils. And I reference hundred, you know, hundred or more coils because there are motors that are that that big that have that many commutators and that many coils in them. With that so, many turn, is that there? They reference they, they call them turns. No. Okay, that's a different thing. That's a different thing. Okay, got um, it. Go ahead, keep going. Tur- you're, you're turns rocking. are the number of loops within the coil. Got it. That's I good. I believe. That's fair. I believe. That's fair. Um, I wanted to research. Uh, turns more before we did this episode, and so, it's okay. I did, tried. It was hard. Point. <laughs> I, I I tried, and um, it's a poorly documented subject, as far as I could find. I'm sure somebody's yep. going to prove us wrong. By all means, write us an email. 
let us know. AviationRCNoobs at gmail.com. Let us know. We'd love to hear what we could have gotten better, and we'll help you listeners by letting everybody know what it is. But anyway, go go ahead. Yeah. So the and the reason that I say that the turns is not equal to the coils, and I'm going to reference RC Plane Lab here because I remember listening mm-hmm. to this part of their segment, and it's the number of times that wire wraps in that coil. It's not how many coils you have. Okay, so the coils are effectively the number of uh, uh, stator arms or the number of armatures. Right. So for yes, armature arms or stator arms. Okay, got okay. it. Okay. Got it. Okay, we're um, good. Yeah. Um, again, could be wrong, oh, but this is okay. this is my current understanding of it. And then okay, we so did... the magnetic field was going one way. The commutator got to the gap. It mm-hmm. stopped flowing electricity. The the magnetic field stops. It moves no. to the next segment. At least the one induced by the by the flow of electricity. It it begins to decay. Yes. Right, but there's still the stuff in the iron, so that's still happening. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah, so the, ele- the electromagnetic flow within the wire stops. It's gone, but the when one in the iron is is still holding. It's and still then there. It, and then it meets the next piece of the commutator. The brushes is, go to the next piece, and what happens? So that that induced field is still there. It begins to decay, but okay. it it's not gone completely. Um, Anybody done the experiment where you run a magnet down your scissors and your scissors are electric or magnetic? Yep. And it stays um, that way for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the armature arm will retain its field. Um, it may not be the, it's de- I, I imagine it's not the strength that it was when it had the electric coil running, but it's still retaining some of that. Right. Um, the, the brushes, the commutator advances, the brushes lose contact with those commutators, the electricity in that coil dies off, the motor is on to a different coil, doing different things. As then the motor continues to turn, the commutators then continue to advance until they come into contact with the opposite brush of what they were. Okay. Okay. Um, and I, I guess I should say that... So, so we're, from the point of view, we're hanging out on the commutator... As this, as it spins, we can say the brushes are turning around us. Sure, right. But effectively, we're we're spinning. Uh, but yeah. to us, it looks like the brushes are moving. Yeah, that's okay. That's also important. Just, just no, know that not. once, just know that there's a induced field that in the armature arm that's kind of hanging out, is decaying, but it's it's still there. And that con- that that it, commutator, the, uh, the motor the advances. Brush. Commutator then come. That commutator will go around until it comes into connection with the next brush. And I should I should mention, and I should have said this on the front end, which is that when, in order for that loop to complete, the electricity goes from one brush through the commutator, through the coil, to the commutator on the other side, so they can then have a DC out. The opposite, and so, then that's, that's, right. the, that's the loop, so it goes back out. Okay, so right. that's the flow. Yeah. Yeah. Got it, go ahead. And, and, I, and I should have said that, but got that's caught important. up in it. Um, mm-hmm. So when it advances far enough that then it comes into contact with the opposite pole of of the of the electricity or the other brush, then the electricity then the uh, electrical flow reverses. So you had a coil set up uh, from the copper coils energized had set up. They had a north pole pointing in one direction. 
mm-hmm. motor advances, it loses the electrical charge, it continues to advance due to other coils being engaged and acting on the field, and then that that armature and coil come into contact with the with the other brush, and mm-hmm. the flow is reversed. When that happens, the the electrical flow within the wires is reversed. They flip instantly because electricity is flowing or not. So it flowed, it stopped, now it's going the other way. When that happens, you are then trying to induce a new magnetic field onto the armature arm. Right, you're you're putting a new magnetic flux onto this existing one, trying to reverse it. Right, you're trying to reverse it, and this is where we get into eddy currents, which, whew, um, Eddie, yeah, what you done for me, um, lady? Not <laughs> on. <laughs> And in as much as we're not talking about fluid dynamics, these eddy currents, uh, as I understand, if they were to be graphed or pictured, are not unlike eddy currents in a river. They they behave effectively like a fluid, even though it's a magnetic field. It's not a it's not a fluid we normally think of yeah. as a fluid. Go don't ahead. think too yeah. hard. On, don't think too hard on that one. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna let you breeze right through that. Go ahead. Yep. Well, here we go. Um, so the eddy current is sort of that current that's remaining that is now going to fight against the new field that you're trying to induce upon it. Okay. Um, and so that eddy current will re- result in a bit of a lag time, which I know. Um, you may or may not touch on when you get into your brushless discussion. Um, no, you know what? I may not do too much of it. If we cover it here, I may just leave it out and just reference this. So keep okay. going. You're, you're hitting um, it. Yeah, th- this one's deep. The, um, so those eddy currents are then present, and they're fighting against the new field that's trying to be generated, mm-hmm. or is generated in the copper coils, but the copper coils are then trying to push into or generate in the armature arm. Right. So that is if the if the eddy current fights so long or so hard, you have so hard a time flipping the polarity of the field that's in that stator arm, then your engine is going your motor is going to lose efficiency because when it comes the reason it's flipping the polarity of that field is so that it's now acting in the opposite direction in the field. You started at the north magnetic pole of the stator. You had a field that caused it to pull and twist past that. Now you're coming to the uh, the south pole, mm-hmm. but you're al- you're aligned in such a way that it's going to fight going against that south pole rather than push its way through due to magnetics. So. So the full power of the field is delayed by a small amount of time. Yeah, and I from that I couldn't tell you the equation for that. No, um, no, no, please don't. Again, I, we don't need everybody to go to sleep. <laughs> again, <laughs> reference uh, the the uh, DC video that I, that we'll link in the show notes, mm-hmm. um, because he does a much better job explaining this than I do, and he's got the visuals to go with it. But um, when all this to get to the question of why do we have, uh, why why is the plates or the stator in a brushless 
Why are the rotor plates in a DC motor or a brushed motor, why are they thin plates as opposed to a solid piece? And the reason for that is when you have a large single piece that is the armature and the armature arm, that is a, the, 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 the electromagnetic field inside that then has that whole, uh, <clears throat> that whole solid core to be within. It's a so, larger field that is that you then have to flip. When you break it in, when you break that core into those tiny, thin little plates, laminate them and stack them together, and laminate it so that they're not touching electrically, they mm -hmm. then are isolated from each other as far as their fields go as far as when the fields are beginning oh. to do something they're not allowing the field to they're not passing the flow in and amongst each other i know this is gonna be weird go ahead no well, what i was gonna say is so it sounds like um the strength of that eddy current resisting the change of magnetic field is a pro is it's its relation is to the thickness of the plate itself. So the thicker the plate, the more power that eddy current has, or the more effectiveness it has. So by reducing the thickness of the plate that the field is running through, to change it, the eddy currents have less power, and thereby the change in field is quicker and more efficient. Correct. Essential, yeah, that that's what I was trying to get to. A bit, you did in, it right. You did it right. As, that's that's what I was thinking. But it's a it's a function of thickness. So the yeah, thinner really the plate, is. the the thinner the plate, the the less power the eddy current has to resist the change. Right. The the thin. If you had a solid core or a solid piece, then there's this big field that you're working on trying to flip. Versus if you have a bunch of little plates, you have a bunch of little fields that you're flipping. Right. And the size of the field, this is, this is, I'm going to take a leap here, but I think this is accurate. Especially when you look at the diagrams of how the electric fields pass, or the electromagnetic fields pass through the engine and how they interact on each other. The fields that you're inducing on the, the armature in brushed or stator in a brushless do not have to be big fields because any field that's extending outward beyond the scope of the motor is wasted field energy. So that mm -hmm. that's they're they're looking for small plates so that the the fields are small and they're easier to flip. And if they're easier to flip, it happens faster, therefore you don't have loss power or excess energy being used trying to flip and your like you say the motor is more efficient so what but what is what are the eddy current do you know what the eddy currents do like like we obviously you don't want them because it and it decreases efficiency but what happens to that efficiency like right energy can't be lost so it's got to go somewhere what happens to it do you know um i mean i the article kind of mentions what happens okay but if you happen I'll... to know i want i want to let you tell the tale I'm not exactly sure which answer you're going for or that I have the correct answer. So I will let you answer that. It, it just basically says that, that the eddy currents um, and that the kinetic energy in that change um, 
it turns it turns into heat, so it converts into undesirable heat. Okay. So if that's, it's too too much too often, you're going to have a motor that burns up, right? That's what I thought, but I didn't want to say that and then be wrong. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. And again, that's per this article. Uh, it's an article in AMA Magazine, uh, May 2020, on page 27. Uh, I'll go into the, the credits uh, when I get talking about it, because I'll mention yeah. some other things. Um, but yeah, that's it's it's the same in both motor types. And understanding that while maybe not important to figuring out which motor you want to choose or what the heck all those numbers mean, um, I think it's helpful in understanding that there's a lot more that goes into making these things run efficiently um, because at a certain point, it's a balancing act and it depends on what you want. And and I think that goes with almost every single motor you've ever run into. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where um, I'm glad that we have motor designers. <laughs> yeah. You can just say, I want um, a thing with a ton of torque or I want something that goes uber fast. Like those little drones. I, I need this motor to go crazy fast because the propeller is tiny and it's, it's got to move enough air to get this thing in the air. So do you have something that goes crazy fast? I'm like, okay, a big motor is never going to get there, but I've got an idea, you know, and then they create these 80, 20 motors or these little tiny can motors. Mm -hmm. And what two more points I want to cover with brushed and I'll let you, I'll let you have it. Um, Uh is okay. So I know, I know I said two, but then I lost my train of thought. Um, and then, I remembered them both, but one doesn't seem as important as it did. One thing I want to cover real quick, and then you can go on to brushless, is when you were talking about what happens to what happens with those eddy currents and you know what's undesirable at times about them, and you said the 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 heat that's generated. Um. This this knowledge has been in place for a while. It's only recently that we've really made use of it, I guess, um, or at least as far as automobiles go, um, one thing that eddy currents can be utilized for is uh, regenerative braking, specifically taking the sp- the the braking properties of the eddy currents and regenerating power off of that. So you've had power tools, I'm sure, that you run them up, they're doing their work, and when you shut them down, they they might take forever to wind down. I know my table saw does. Mm-hmm. My table saw yep. takes a while to wind down. Yep. Yep. Um but my chop saw, uh, and I guess it might also be called a miter saw, but I don't think it's quite a miter saw. But my chop saw, when I back off when I you know, kill the power to it, um, it spins down for a while, so I think it's you know, definitely got some age on it, and it does. But it'll spin down for a while, and then once it reaches a certain point, then the brake kicks in. And as I was looking and researching this, they talked about the utilizing the eddy currents to also slow an engine or slow a motor down in the case of power tools. So if you've got a tool that is runs at high speed, you kill the power, it runs for a while, you know, it runs for a while as it starts to slow down and then something seems to like it kicks in, just really ramps it down could be, um, the use of eddy currents to 
break, which is essentially, uh, I don't know a whole lot about this one, but they're utilizing the, ma the residual magnetic field, and they might actually be utilizing um, alternating magnetic poles positioned around the armature and rotor to induce and then drag, induce and drag mm -hmm. magnetic fields within the rotor to slow it down. Because any any time okay. that state that arbiter is in the presence of the field, it's going to it's magnetic, so or it can't be magnetized, so it's going to accept that field, and then once it accepts it, it moves to the next field that's dragging on that field because mm -hmm. the eddy current's still there, and it's so. and it's slowing it down. And remember, mm -hmm. every motor, when run the opposite way, is a generator. So every motor can be a generator if you're pushing current through it to run it it'll it'll spin right mm -hmm. but if there's no current and you spin the motor so let's say there's whatever is on the shaft has inertia and is going anyway it's actually acting as a generator and generating current through the wire so if you stop the flow you're basically allowing it to slow down and that's essentially literally what um you know wind turbines and things like that are Mm -hmm. is they're the an opposite of them. They're essentially just one big motor. They're just running the opposite way. They're letting the wind power spin the the shaft, mm -hmm. and and that generates electricity because those are still magnets around it generating fields. Those fields create, are, are pushing a, uh, a field th at the wire, and that field pushes current through the wires itself and it generates mm. electricity so essentially if, you, if you're not running it one way if you're going the other way it's a generator that's all it's the same it's the same principle just opposite direction now i may I be wrong i know that you can utilize a dc motor as a generator mm -hmm. um this and you can test that you know grabbing a little led hooking it up to a dc motor and, and spinning it you may have to really crank at it but you can get it to it you know, mm -hmm. the little bicycle lights. You know, <laughs> if, I, I had that as a kid where I had a little, oh, uh, little lamp that mounted on the front and then the little generator, you flip it down and it engages the tire because it's got a little rubber wheel on it and it spins and it would spin up that yeah. light. Yeah, and you got to work I, extra hard now. While the reverse principle is true, um, I'm, I would like to think, and I'm fairly certain, that generators have a different build to them. While they utilize the reverse concept, They're... the construction is different in key it, components to be able to sure. hold up to that uh, of course of course i mean there, there are okay. other aspects to it that are different but the, but the core principles are identical they're just running in opposite directions one pushes yeah. the rotor and the other one the rotor's turning and pushing electricity which mm -hmm. would you know depends on what direction you want to go so um i know i've got a 3d printer and when i move the bed it generates electricity in the motor enough to power the panel even though it's powered off so the <laughs> so led the panel I mean, yeah no the led panel that, that actually it, it actually gets enough current and enough voltage pushed back through it by me moving moving the bed back and turning that motor so much it's generating mm. enough electricity to power on uh basically the breadboard again because it doesn't require okay. a lot of electricity. So what it'll do is start starting up again, even though I'm just moving the bed. Hmm. Um, so again, they, they always, uh, not always, but uh, most I motors figure are... I kind of figured there'd be, you know, like, 
resistors and diodes in place to uh, to prevent that such occasion so you don't knock your you know knock your 3d printer and suddenly there goes your circuit board it depends on how cheap um it's not a lot of current <laughs> so i don't think they're worried about it uh, uh yeah. trust me my, my 3d printer is on the cheapest of cheap so um yeah. anyway we, we won't get into that we that we're here to talk about motors yes so. um so how do how do I figure out like how do they how do you select motors that are DC? I mean I can talk about the really tiny ones, but uh, and maybe I, that's all we need to talk about. Yeah, that's those are answers I don't have for you. Um, I can okay, that's okay. I can I can tell you that like if I were to try to pl- replace a motor in say my drill, mm-hmm. then I. Yeah, I don't know if I can find any documentation on my power drill, so I'd go out there, I'd you know, if I need to replace a motor, I might rip it open, uh, pull the electric motor out and look for numbers on the side and try to match those up. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't know what those numbers on the side mean, I'd have to Google them myself. But <laughs> what I would definitely want to do is look at, you know, the voltage that that motor is receiving. Because right. I'm sure the motor is not receiving straight one twenty volt uh however many amps it wants to draw, which can't be, like, like what, 10 tops, because yeah, 20 tops, because socket, you know, you kind of got breakers in place for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would I would be looking for, um, you know, the voltage of the motor, how many, you know, how many amps it could draw with us, voltage and amps, mm-hmm. we're going to give you a wattage component. Yeah. Um, you know, largely, if I were to have to look for a motor for my, my power tools, I'd be looking for, I'm looking for an identical motor. Like I'm just gonna uh, pull numbers off of it, go looking yeah. for it. But like I don't know anything about them for, you know, RC. Yeah. That that would be a lot of research I have to do. Um, no, don't now, don't worry about it. Um, but that's a that's a safe bet. What you're suggesting is a safe bet. If you have burned out a motor or you want to use a motor, look at something similarly sized and see what it uses, and use something similar like pick pick the same motor and use it for you know if it's a 20 inch aircraft if you've got a 20 inch aircraft you find another aircraft that uses a dc motor and say okay cool i can use that a lot of the dc motors that are used in um rc aircraft um are typically one cell lipo type maybe two but typically only one um if it's brushless sorry if it's brushed it's, so it's typically 3.75, uh, 3.7 volts to 4.2, um, and the currents are really small. You know, mm. we're talking, you know, two, two amps maybe. Um, and then the way they're typically, at least the ones that are the really small motors, they are measured in millimeters um, by the diameter of the can and the height of the can. So mm. an 80-20 motor which is a pretty good size motor. It is eight millimeters in diameter and it's 20 millimeters long, which is pretty cool because you can use that to design the space to put them in like pretty accurately. Mm. Um, and they typically range, the ones that I've seen that are effective for airlines and airplanes and things like that are uh, six, uh, six by 16 up to 10 by 20. And after that, you, at that point, you're kind of looking at brushless is a better fit. Um, the cool part about it is they use very little current. Um, they're not super strong, but if you can, uh, they go really fast. So if you can torque down the motor, if you can basically use gearing to change the speed, um, you can get basically a, 
low angle five inch motor to pull your plane and it draws almost no current. So you've got like a a very small battery lasting 10 to 10 to 15 minutes. And whereas if it were brushless, you would have been out of battery a long time ago because it's pulling a lot more current. Mm -hmm. So that's the one advantage. Uh, for example, if you look at the FT stem stuff, the FT freighter, I've got the bang good version of it. It it'll fly for 10 minutes. It's got two, uh, I think they're seven, seven, 16 motors, Oh, seven, 16 motors. And that's a seven, it's, Millimeter, seven millimeter diameter by 16 millimeter can there's two of them and so you've literally got two motors running 70 percent draw and it's it's a 150 milliamp battery lipo and that mm. 150 milliamps lasts for 10 minutes so I, I don't know what kind of current i don't they didn't do the calc but it's tiny so we're looking at like one amp compared to like uh, brushless size will typically be four to six amps or four to five amps so that's a significantly different amount you know mm. again but they're never really gonna pull they don't have a lot of torque so they're never really gonna pull as as much as is needed for the larger airplanes so we stopped there and then we looked at brushless well before uh, we get into brushless yeah i was gonna say did you have anything else to add to the to brushed conversation uh, i'm sure you do let Last thing, and it's not so related to this conversation, it was a, a story that came to mind, mm. um, ju just to break up <laughs> some of the dryness of our parts discussion. Um, you were talking about replacing a DC motor. They're like, yeah, you want to find the motor that you know is very similar, exact specs, or as close, uh, well, I say, yeah, DC brushed motor, mm -hmm. uh, is what I'm talking about. Um <laughs> <laughs> we, and and I'm sure you had one of these for for your boys. Um, when I was very young, um, my parents had gotten me one of those uh, electric four wheelers. Okay, plastic ones with a little DC yeah, motors yeah. in them. Yeah, I got and one for my you kids. Know, had, had some smaller DC motors in them and some you know you know whatever battery packs they were using. Um, and apparently as a kid, I loved that thing, which I can believe. Um, but I would just, I'd ride that thing nonstop and, you know, mm -hmm. run it into the ground. Well, eventually I had worn the batteries and the motors out. Um, <laughs> and you know, I, I still wanted to ride it. Uh, and so dad, you know, being the jack of all trades that he is, uh, said, you know what? I'm going to fix my boy's electric four wheeler. And he did. And in the process said, you know what? He's getting an upgrade. <laughs> he didn't go back <laughs> in with the he didn't go back in with the motors or the battery that was there. Oh uh, boy. He had to do he had to do a little bit of a cutting and work on that on that frame to uh put in the bigger motors and the bigger battery that he put in that thing. Um and as I understand it, that little electric four wheeler would flat boot and scoot. He had um, a drag racing. Where are we? <laughs> as, as a kid, you know, just he he upgraded the motors, up, and that's you know the difference it can make, but especially yeah. with that power behind it of a bigger oh, yeah. battery. Oh, man, boy. they they talk like that little thing would move. Now, I mean, as as fast as you're going to let you know a three year old or four year old, or however I was, cut loose on an electric four wheeler, a little <laughs> plastic thing, but they thought like that thing would move for what it was. Yeah, and I just I just loved it <laughs> more. You know, I know, right? More. And, Your dad was um, a hero. Yeah, my dad's over there like, yeah, get it, boy. 
and my mom's over there like he's going full speed through the you know through the gate opening he's like he's got it oh my god that's funny <laughs> um, yeah but so yeah definitely uh for that reason make sure if you're replacing uh you go you go with the one that you had unless you're specifically looking for an upgrade but then you gotta take into account the consequences of that but anyway excellent <laughs> brushed uh yes you and in case we didn't say it i think we did but yes you can change out the brushes uh the bearings are sort of the the ultimate failure on a brush sure. motor if okay. the bearing goes out as far as i know it's pretty much toast brushes you can replace okay good all right thank you brushless brushless motors right so at a certain point um I, i'm trying to remember um well, okay, so the difference between a brushed and a brushless motor tends to be, as far as usability, the lifespan of a brushed motor is much less, and or at least noticeably less, than a brushless motor. Because when, when we start looking through a brushless motor, you'll realize that nothing, the only thing that is moving on these is, the only thing that's moving against one another is a bearing so basically mm -hmm. you have just like any other motor you have a stationary part and you have a rotating part and and in a brushed motor you have the commutator and the brushes that are contacting each other and they're spinning like mad and they're touching well in a brushless motor it's exactly like it says there's, there's no brushes um and we'll talk about how it conveys its power but basically the only thing that the rotating part connects to in into the stationary part is uh, is uh the bearings mm -hmm. and the way they've got the bearings is the bearings are um nowadays they're, they're re that's really the difference between like a low quality and a high quality motor there's a, a lot of other differences too but the big thing that kind of stands out is that low quality motors have lower quality bearings they'll wear out sooner than high quality bearings. That said, and, and high quality motors, that said, the bearings still last an awful long time, um, way longer than any brushes ever do. Um, and so thereby, um, brushless motors tend to last overall, like probably more than the life of any, almost any plane you'll ever run into. Honestly, you're probably gonna damage it from crashing before you actually have the brushless motor wear out in any capacity. So why don't, why don't we talk about how the brushless motor functions and, and the different parts, which are going to be mm -hmm. very similar to brush. So I'm not going to probably go into too many details um, because we've already I talked about a lot the, of this. The rearrangement of some of the parts. A exactly. So the way a brushless motor works is that the inside is what's connected to your plane. That remains stationary around the center um, around this uh, stationary piece is the stator. It's, and it looks like the, the octopus arm sticking out. And that's where all the electricity coil, all, all the electrical wires coiled around. That's the thing that generates the field. Um, and we, we talked about that. And we'll get into more detail. So basically this is stator, those iron plates. They're connected together and the electric wires coiled all around. Um, and then around that, <clears throat> sitting um on the shaft and connected to the shaft that that's connected to the propeller is 
a bell that has the permanent magnets glued into it all around the outside. So that bell and the shaft spin, and they typically have bearings that go through the anchor point and the stator. Um, so that bell spins like crazy, um, but there are no pieces that are touching one another except for the bearings. Right. That's that's literally the only thing that connects the two pieces together effectively. Um, because of this, um, and the fact that they're using... Um, the other difference is that brushed motors are DC motors. It's a direct current in, it goes through, it makes the thing run, and it comes back out. Brushless motors are effectively AC motors. So they have, it takes a DC in, there's a speed controller that converts it to AC, and it basically sends three different phases of electrical current through uh, three different coils, three different coil sets. Um, Let's see. Anyway, so that, I mean, that's the, that's the basic overview. Um, So what you'll, and then the biggest thing to tell between the differences, you pick up a motor you bought on a, at a swap meet and you go, what is this? A brushed or a brushless brush motors uh, have two wires coming out and brushless will have three. It's pretty simple. Um, And think of it kind of like a triangle that um, each phase it's going in one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And that's kind of how the motor spins around. You may have many multiples of three. So it goes one, two, three, 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 to come back to the first one. Right. Mm -hmm. So that'd be like four sets. Um, Anyway. Uh, but either way, they're typically in sets of three. The cool part about that is if you reverse two of those wires, now it's going one, two, going counterclockwise instead of clockwise, let's say. And now you've reversed the direction of the motor. By f- switching two of those wires, you've changed the direction. The wires, I mean, it's still flowing from one, two to three, but now uh, the direction is going to flip. So it's really easy. Like if you put on a propeller and you realize you forgot, you oh, I put on an R. So it's going the wrong direction. Shoot. So you can take a, or I plug it in and I wired it wrong. Well, all you got to do is switch two wires and now it's going the right direction. Um, so that's a neat little function of a brushless motor. Um, so I think what I'm going to start off is kind of go over what you need to know, like how to make sense of some of these numbers. Um, and then we'll kind of go into the details of its operation. And again, we cu- we covered a lot of it with the brushed motors and how they operate. And we'll kind of touch on how they're how they're different in brushed motors. We've talked a little bit now, but we'll we'll go into more detail. Um, so when you see a motor, you'll see twenty three oh six. For example, I'm looking at an Emacs Eco Series twenty three oh six twenty four hundred kV motor. It'll it it's a twelve N fourteen P. What? What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Right? I, I know when I started, I went, "What? that's a lot of numbers. I think uh, the CPAC motor was originally a 2218 hyphen 09, what the heck is an Emacs motor? It had a GT series. 
Um, well, usually if there's like a letter in front of it, that's some sort of demarcation for the manufacturer itself. So mm -hmm. like the manufacturer might have an A series and a B series. Oftentimes it's like uh, GP, like a grand performance or extra fast or whatever. And they'll, they'll do an abbreviation and that's what goes in front. The next set of things will probably be four numbers. So you, they're almost always four numbers. And those four numbers, well, not... Well, not uniform across every single motor. Um, oftentimes, what they reference to is the diameter and height. They're basically they're those four numbers are two two digit two digit numbers. They're referencing the diameter of the stator and the height of the stator. And the stator is what those coils are wrapped around, if you remember. And mm -hmm. based on that size, that's going to give you the rough kind of estimate of how strong the field is and what kind of torque or how much force, like what distance the force you're going to generate is acting over. Right. Mm -hmm. So that kind of gives you based on the size, you can kind of get a handle as to what, how much energy you're going to get out of this thing just at a quick glance. Okay. So it'll be 2306. So that means it's 23 millimeters in diameter and six millimeters high. That's the stator. Because if you go to Emacs or somewhere like that and look up, they have a great, great level of detail. And if I recall, I'm looking to see if they have the actual diameter of the stator on their thing. And of course, uh, no, it's 27.7 is the bell. And the height of the bell, I don't think it has it on here, but it looks like it's somewhere around 13, which is so dramatic. 20, you're... You're saying twenty-seven point seven millimeters. Millimeters. That, in that case, are what rounding down for that number? Or they no, rounding I mean, up? <clears throat> no, no, no. What, what I'm saying is that's the outside dimensions of the motor itself. So that's the oh, okay. dimensions of the bell. So you can say, okay, well, that doesn't make any darn sense. But the twenty-three oh six is the dimensions of the stator. Now, some motors, especially if it's like a brushless outrunner, it's going to measure the outside diameter. Um, of the bell but generally speaking when you're looking at like um if you're looking at like something that can pull a 10 to 12 inch propeller and and sometimes on up um you're going to have this configuration it's going to be a couple letters for the manufacturer it's going to have four digits that's essentially two two digit numbers which will identify the rough size of the stator and mm -hmm. then you'll have a 2300 kv or 2300 KV or whatnot. Um, and you're like, well, what the heck does that mean? What is 2700 KV? So that is basically a denote. It's a an equivalent way to measure the rough power of the motor. And that's basically saying it, or the rough speed of the motor, it will run 2700 revolutions per volt of energy put into it. Per minute. Now, then what you'll do is if you look at the motor, and that's the other thing you're going to want to look for, every motor should tell you what kind of power it can accept. And it'll probably do it in LiPo cell voltages. So remember, every LiPo cell is going to be 3.7 volts. So for every cell, you're adding um, an additional 3.7 volts. So a two cell is a 7.2 volt, volt motor or 7.4 volt max. Um, a three cell is going to be 11.1 .1 volt max or on average. 
because um, you're you're talking sorry, on average, average average voltage is 3.7 because the the range of a lipo battery is 3.3 to 4.2 4.2 is fully charged okay. it's fully charged it puts out 4.2 volts on average it's going to be 3.7 volts so let's get that clear and then so for every volt you're getting that much more on average put through the thing so it, the motor is going to tell you how much it can handle because at a certain voltage the components won't be able to handle that much power going through the wires or maybe even the stator itself can't handle that much that powerful a magnetic flux motor changing so fast it'll create as we talked about earlier it generates heat as a byproduct of mm -hmm. of its resistance to changing the flux that will end up basically heating up the stator core and it'll probably expand so much that the stator itself will expand into the permanent magnets on the bell because there's a very tiny gap. Um, right. We're talking like uh, fractions of a millimeter, very small fractions of a millimeter distant. Oh, I didn't know it was that tight. Yeah, it, it's it's awful tight. I and mean, we're talking probably one hundredth of a millimeter, I think, or less. Um, and on the really good motors, it's smaller, right? The great motors um, are closer. Uh, the The lower quality motors have a bigger gap. Um, but anyway, so what you'll have is if that stator expands or heats up too much, it's going to expand and could even possibly expand into the magnets themselves. So that that's obviously no good. You want to make sure you're staying within that manufacturer's window. Sometimes you can go higher. Typically, when you do that, what you're doing is you're degrading the components faster. So it might it might be able to handle a couple extra cells voltage. But typically, if it does that, it's probably going to run far shorter and it'll It'll basically burn out the components. The wire itself or the coating will heat burn off. It'll generate too much extra heat and it'll be done. You'll you'll basically fried your motor. Literally. Um mm. maybe not literally, because you're not putting it in a fryer, but you're frying the coating, cooking it off. So anyway. Um Which then, right. then you got shorts going on. Yeah, and then right, exactly. And then then it's all downhill from there. Um so <laughs> you want to look at the number of cells. So if you think about it. Let's say you have a three-cell motor that's running at 11.1 volts. But for simple math, while we're talking, let's say you're basically putting 10 volts through it. <clears throat> if you have a 2300 kV motor at 10 volts, it's spinning at 23,000 revolutions per minute without any load on it. So that's saying without a propeller, it's not trying to move through the air. You're just spinning it anchored to the desktop. That's what you should see. And I think that is an important distinction to make that these KV numbers are specifically no load numbers. It's very specifically, yes. And once you add a propeller and stuff, it's going to change. But it gives you a rough idea. If they're all measuring the same kind of KV, you're mm -hmm. generally seeing how fast whatever you put onto it is going to spin. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you should also look, uh, some websites really don't have hardly any information about a motor. If you like what you, you see that maybe the price or whatever on a, on an outfit that you want to buy from, but it doesn't have any information, go look up that motor and see if you can find out the right information. Cause you're going to want to see what kind of propeller is it going to spin? They usually give you a range. Um, the Emacs eco series motor that I quoted here says it's five-inch motor, uh, or five-inch propeller. Um, so it tells you how many cells of voltage. It says three to four cell. So you get a three-cell LiPo or a four-cell LiPo. 
Um, so as you can see, as you go up in cells of voltage, so you put a 4S LiPo, that thing's going to spin even faster. So instead of 23,000 volts, it's going to spin somewhere around 28,000 volts or 28,000 revolutions per minute instead of 23. So that's a significantly, that's that many times more that propeller is trying to cut through the air to give you thrust. Mm -hmm. um, and when, when you're, and I had a question here, maybe I'll remember as I go, but sure. when you're talking about the, the load of a motor and the propeller that you're putting onto it, mm -hmm. um, Oh, I wanted to ask you about the torque of these motors, because while not always, while these numbers don't always uh, indicate torque, you may have to open the data sheet, but a bigger, you know, I just canceled that, that question. That's okay. The, the I, I have a question the... about prop size versus torque of the motor and high KV may not be uh, right. reflective high of a high torque. Well, it's actually typically, it's, it's inverse. It's almost literally directly inverse. So the higher the KV, the lower the torque. Okay. So when you see a 340 KV motor, it has a very low torque, which means it's great at spinning a high load to whatever thing. It's going to be able to handle that load. 300... 340 KV. All right, 340 so, kV would be a low rotation high torque. Right, yeah. that's the kind of one that'll spin like a 14-inch or an 18-inch rotor. Okay. Okay, whereas when you're looking at 2300 kV, which is almost a factor of 10 higher, that's spinning a 5-inch propeller, or 6-inch maybe. And we won't get into It's a 5-inch, but it's not telling you what pitch. And oftentimes, even the good motors will have a whole set of propellers and a whole list of the voltages that you're the what kind of what level of lipo you're putting in and it'll give mm -hmm. you information about how efficient it is how many how many amps you can it's going to try and draw because remember when you turn on the motor the motor is going to spin at whatever thing it's going to pull as much electricity as it can as it needs to to get to that speed if you if your speed controller cannot handle the kind of electricity flowing through it, those electrical components in the ASC are going to burn out. And then your, your motor system is effectively done for the day. So you get a new one, but it, it, that's one of the things you should look at when you look at a motor, pay attention to how many amps it's rated for. Um, and this one, if you go down to the thing, you can see, let's see, um, there are two different, kinds of motors it's it has you can choose a 1700 kv which is lower which means it can spin a bigger propeller and um it's going to draw lower amps because it's assuming uh that one can take a higher cell voltage so though it has a lower kv so it has a lower revolution per volt it's designed to take more volts from the battery so it's effectively probably going to spin, be spinning about the same. You're going to get a lot more thrust and a lot more power out of, out of the motor from that. Uh, in this case, you're getting 800 watts. That's, the, that's a measure of power. The current is going to be 32 amps. So it's going to be pulling less energy through because it's at a higher voltage. The amount of power is amps times voltage. 
So mm -hmm. you have to draw less because it's more powerful, ultimately leading to a little bit more power. In the case of the higher revolution, uh, the higher rated motor, so the 2400 kV motor, so it spins faster per revolution, it can only take four cells. So you can't put as extra voltage into it, so extra oomph. Um, so to get the kind of speeds it needs, or to get to achieve the speeds it has, it has to pull more amperage. So it has to more, pull more current through the motor, through the wires to generate the field, to generate the power. So you'll have mm -hmm. 42 amps at four cells. That's gonna be a max power of 715 volts or 700 volts. So you have a reduction in power, but it might fit your application better. There's a whole thing. And, and what ends up you start realizing is all of this stuff is a, a big balancing act. Um, so what I like to look at is I just check to make sure that I've got an ESC that meets the current draw that it's going to have. Um, that uh, it's going to be able to connect to the battery I typically use. Um, and that it's running, that I've got the propeller, right? That it's running the kind of propeller I want for the plane size I have. So if I've got a small plane, five inches, fantastic. But if I've got a 40 to 60 inch plane, the five inch propeller, I don't care how steep you've got, is probably not going to pull enough thrust. Um, and some of these things give you a thrust value. And um, if you get into it, there'll be a lot of arguments about how accurate the thrust value is. And all I can say is use the thrust values as a guide to give you a rough idea. Um, okay. Uh, another thing to pay attention to is the prop uh, the prop adapter. So what what diameter is what diameter is the shaft that the propeller is going to go around? Is uh, I think that one becomes key. Yeah, it's one thing that I almost forget every time, and then I go, oh shoot, I better check that because why is that, Joe? You ran into it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, the the motor that I got in the kit that I got from you that you had bought off a guy in the forums. Um, and I think it's the case for at least for a lot a of quadcopter motors. Yeah, for a lot of the flight test power packs, and I I could be wrong about the current time, but at least that kit, it was more of a quad motor, and mm -hmm. I did not know that when I was, um, when I was working with the props that I had. Um, so right. I, it had it had a prop that fit it great when I got the kit from you, and then it had some spare props that were they didn't want to fit on the shaft quite right and i wanted to look right. into uh prop savers specifically mm -hmm. so i wasn't because what i was having to do was bore out the shaft hole in the prop i was having mm -hmm. to take a drill bit and you know hand right. i didn't want to hook it up to my drill press Same. but yeah i was having that by hand bore it out or i was taking my exacto knife and uh, scraping I, when i <laughs> popped it in the field i was like let me just you know bore out some stuff which it we worked. could get into pro we could get into imbalance props and all that, but I got to work. Right, it it, it worked, uh, but it it worked ugly. Right. So what what I had there was a quad motor versus a uh, a, a normal airplane motor, which ended up having a shaft size that was different. So I was having to bore out uh, airplane props to be able to fit on the quad motor. Also, because it's a quad motor, I couldn't get 
prop savers for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the, so the you, shaft you were... is the wrong size completely. I could not find yeah. a, a prop saver that would fit that shaft. And then when I bought my replacement uh, props, by that time I had figured out that I was work. <laughs> I was dealing with a quad mine. Uh, a quad motor. So you were. So typically quad motors have a five millimeter shaft. And where a lot of the traditional airplane motors of a similar size, we're talking uh, flight test B and C pack um, or 1000 kV or 1400 kV motors. Again, when you get into it, you'll start realizing what we're talking about. Um, hopefully this episode will help you. Um, that level of size typically has um, for airplane motors, traditional airplane motors, the shaft will be a three millimeter shaft or 3.17 millimeter shaft. And then with that comes the number of options. They basically have a nose cone um, thing that sleeves over top of the three or 3.17 millimeter shaft. And then as you put the motor, as you put the propeller on and tighten it up, it, it clamps the shaft, that, that smaller shaft, and it fits like a, a regular four millimeter or five millimeter propeller hole, right? And the propeller is the center hole. Um, but with, with the quadcopters, they're all like five millimeters. Um, so they don't traditionally work with, they don't typically work well with traditional airplane propellers. Right. Um, and I apologize for cutting out right there. Um, I just quit talking because I had an alert pop up on my computer and listeners don't need to worry about that, but it was a, uh, a low hard drive space. Uh Um, it's, I'm fixing it now, but, um, so if Joe's recording goes out, now we know why I'll see if I can finish out the episode. (laughs) Yeah, no, it it should be fine. I'm clearing out some space. I've got a, uh, a smaller SSD that's serving as my primary. Yeah. And, uh, it's filling up. It's good. Uh, All right. Good, 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 good. Okay. Um, okay. So now, now we understand roughly what the motors are. So, you pay attention to how many cells, uh, all that kind of stuff. And I, I look at the thrust values if they're there. A lot of motors don't have that. Definitely pay attention to um, the the shaft. Pay attention to what kind of lipo you can hook to, up to it. Very important, make sure what current it's going to draw. Is it's going to draw that current? And oftentimes they'll give you a propeller that you can, that it's plan, it's going to spin. It'll be... Um, let's say a five by four. So that's a five inch diameter with a four inch per rotate. Uh, it's basically a thread pitch um, of, of the propeller's blade. So it will move forward four inches in one revolution. It's, it's turned at an angle that if the, you know, the once the propeller spins around once it'll advance the plane four inches. That's what that's about. So, okay. If you're saying, but I don't want to use that one. I want to use something different. You can trade one inch of diameter for one inch of pitch. So if I have an eight by six propeller that it's designed for, the motor says, hey, it works as a eight by six, but I've got a seven inch prop. I can then use a seven inch by by seven uh, pitch. Mm-hmm. Okay, so as I, I go you. smaller, I can add it to the pitch, or I can do a nine by four, or a nine by five, 
Now, right? that- so as yeah. I get bigger, I can reduce the pitch of the motor. So it's trying to pull the plane less, and they end up being about equal. That's not entirely true, but it's close say, enough. Is that on a linear slope, or does that begin uh, to? It, it becomes exponential pretty quick. But okay. but the point is, is within within a one inch slide either direction, you there's it's, some leeway. It's it's accurate enough where you can use that as your guide. Again, okay. that'll tell you if your motor is going to work with the propeller you want. Right. I've got a I've got a plane that's X size. They tell me an eight inch propeller is what I want. I need to find a motor. Okay, let me find that motor. Okay, so I'm looking for a motor that can handle an eight inch prop with the pitch I'm expecting to use. Cool, got it. Oh wait, I can't I can't use a six cell lipo. Oh well, I can't use that motor. Maybe I need to find one that does. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Sadly, it's like pay attention to everything, but that's not entirely true. One of the things, <laughs> but there are certain things you want to kind of pay attention to. And and again, that, that number, that 2306 that we talked about, those uh-huh. are, that's just one of those things you can look at that and get a rough idea as to the general power range it's in. So you can weed out a bunch of motors you go, oh, I'll never need to look at that because that's either way too small or way too big. It's going to be way oversized. Again, you know, planes only fly with so much weight on it. So if you get one of those giant motors, they're going to weigh 200 grams where this little Emacs motor we quoted is about 28 grams. So you mm-hmm. get a big motor, you're like, oh, it's going to pull everything. It's going to be great. Um, it, you need a plane, bigger airframe. Your plane can't handle that. <laughs> it's never going to produce enough lift to lift the thing off the ground, so it's useless, right? So, well, even if it could, the the initial firing up of that motor, a motor that size got to have some torque. You're going to flip oh my your plane <laughs> sideways just well, firing the motor up. Absolutely right, and that's again. I'm trying to avoid the whole talk about planes and torque, and that's something we'll we'll talk about later when we. I, I want to cover an episode where we go through like how to design. What, what are some design guides on a plane? But yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. When you get some crazy big motors, now you're getting some crazy big power to turn that propeller and it creates a bunch of torque. The torque is achieved. So basically when you're on a table, you can anchor it and it stays put because, you know, the, everything weighs a ton and there's friction. It's not going anywhere. But in the, pl- in the air, when a plane is in the air, the only thing that's resisting the plane from counter turning is the air. And that's not a lot. So if you have too much torque, it's gonna it's gonna twist the plane all around. You're you're gonna, like you said, flip the darn thing over. All right. Um, now, so we've talked about the things to look at when you're trying to find a motor, right? What do those things mean? Now we kind of talked a lot about it. The last thing to look at, and it's not a big deal, but it'll get into um, when we talk about how the brushless motors work differently from brushed. Is there's a it says a framework. You'll have a 12n 14p. So basically, n is the number of stator arms, and they're almost always divisible by three, because remember we talked about it's a three phase power going into it. And what you end up having having is power kind of going in and out, and it's a cyclical thing. It's kind of effectively circular. So you have this what ends up being a sine waveform. It looks basically like a roller coaster going up over the hill and then back down in the trough. And what happens is you you want to have steady current or steady, steady voltage going through the wires to be able to create a consistent amount of turn. To do that, 
if you offset each of those, you have now you have three roller coasters going. And as long as any one of those is up near the voltage you want, you're going to get you're going to get what you want out of that, right? You're going to mm-hmm. get the kind of power to to turn the motor consistently. So if I have three different roller coasters offset just enough where by the time that last roller coaster is just coming over the top, I've got that first roller coaster coming back up again. Because again, it's going mm-hmm. up over the hump, back down in the trough, yeah. back over the hump, and it goes back and forth. So when it gets that second trough of that, that first go around, if that third one is just finished going over the top, that first one should be coming back up again. So again, you're going to, and what happens is you end up getting a consistent voltage um, during the entire set of rotational periods. So, or at least a more consistent, the, the fall right. off isn't as steep. Exactly. We're essentially setting up three-phase power within this motor. Right. Exactly. Um, And that's done through the speed controller, which if we have time, we'll talk about. If if not, we'll talk about in the next episode. Um, But but yeah, that's essentially what it is. It's AC AC power. Mm -hmm. Um, Real real quick, what your I think what the three phases setting up here is that at any given time you've got two of those phases powered and then it's just steady rolling Mm -hmm. yeah effectively yeah um and then the other thing is the p it says 12n 14p and p is the number of magnets or they call them poles um and those are on remember they're on the outside of the bell okay um and the reason why there's and I i i think we talked about it i think there are almost always two more than the stator the reason is you you want You want the bell, you do not want the bell and the stators to be matched up entirely because they're always going to want to push each other just a hair, right? So when one of the motors turn, one of the stators, the electrical fields go, you want it to be not in line with each other. So it's either going to be pushed or pulled or get some sort of moment movement started. Always. Um, all right. So, uh, so we've talked about, all right, let's, let's go into the motor itself. Um, we talked about that there's a bell. It's got a series of permanent magnets that are opposing poles next to each other, right? So the ones that are facing inward are south, then north, then south, then north, all the way around mm-hmm. 14 times till they come back around. So again, they're always going to be, uh, they should be uh, even. Um, should otherwise you wind up with a north and a north side by side and then that'll so mess up your flow by two yeah. that's always got to be divisible by two um okay and so then what you have is you you have your speed controller pushing power um through every third stator effectively to pull this thing along remember every third one is in the same phase so mm-hmm. you have the strong push in every third uh, every third stator, and then the other two are in, in a varying de- degradation of that power. So mm-hmm. it's, it's essentially like wi- riding a tidal wave that's constantly rotating around this motor shaft. I mean, it, it, effectively. It's not actually going anywhere because the stator is staying put. But the, the coils 
are activating in kind of a wave-like fashion. Imagine you're in the stadium and everybody starts putting their hands up and does a wave and it starts going around. Now imagine you're basically riding that wave around. That's effectively what's happening with the motors through electric current. Okay. Um, So, and again, it's, it's running almost identically to the brushed motor. And the only difference is that there's nothing touching. There's, there's almost nothing to wear out except the bearings. Um, As I'm understanding it, the main thing, aside from there's, there's uh, the number of phases being different Um, in a, in a brush motor. And I didn't talk about it, but a brush motor can have uh, many more uh, coils say they're just the two poles and it can have more magnets um I, I suppose depends on how they set up set it up but you know one of the videos i saw like there there was a uh brushed motor that yeah it just had like a hundred commutators in there like it was crazy mm-hmm. oh yeah um, and, and the same goes for brushless too they can do quite a number but where uh, where the brushes and the commutator are what's handling the changing polarity of the coils and thus mm-hmm. the armature arms that in a brushless motor, the ESC is handling. The ESC is handling digitally in small, like tiny uh, microchip electronic components. Mm-hmm. And that change, because I guess they're, they're so small, all, all of those changing are happening at microcurrents and they happen super fast. Like we're, we're, microseconds or picoseconds are probably the appropriate level of timing. Um, And all they're doing is telling, uh, allowing the voltage power from the battery to go through each one of these different phases at a certain time. And all they're doing is just controlling when and when and where it goes through. Mm -hmm. So, And I would um, imagine... And this would have to be part of the ESC conversation, which at this point I want to say we're going to have to do in the next episode. But I would imagine that the what you're referencing and the switching of even though it's happening on micro level within the chips, I don't know, but I would imagine there's MOSFETs that are going on mm-hmm. to yeah, actually the, switch the main the the main high you know higher voltage. It's it's um it's actually a combination of MOSFETs. Those are the, the I'll call it those are the workhorses, um mm-hmm. and also small logic gate circuits. We're talking like okay. eight eight pin logic circuit kind of things, Ooh. um and they kind of work hand in hand to, um, basically do the if and statements and whatnot. Um, Again, we we can get into those. I'm probably not going to get into a lot about the circuitry itself because I don't know too much. Although I know I've burned through a lot of the jackets because I've overheated and burned out my ESCs. So I've seen all those components. So I'm, I am aware that... You can certainly tell me what they look like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Um, and again, we'll, we'll talk about that next episode. So um, so we talked about all that the, the stator is made up of all of these plates. The plates are typically um, a nickel nickel iron alloy um and according to this article <clears throat> let me let me talk about the the article is in the may 2020 model aviation magazine that typically comes with um your ama membership if you have one so you've probably seen it if not it's still free online for now um joe i shared that with you so uh, and i will put a link um and if you get to it soon enough you should be able to look at it and i highly recommend it it's some 
it's a really chock full of detailed information article. Um, and it answered a lot of questions I was having in general about this stuff. Um, so one of the things, so they, they talked about like, you know, what kind of things cause this, this kind of electric motor to fail. And they basically say that for the most part in brushless motors, the only thing that typically fails is the ball bearings are, are going to wear down mm-hmm. and, and they're the ones who are going to go. But we're talking along the lines of in like an automotive factory where they're run 24 seven in about three to four years, maybe the ball bearings will run out, right? And will wear right. out. So in the RC application where your weekend were running it for what, 20 minutes at a given go, maybe even an hour, you should never see a failure in the ball bearings or almost any part of a brushless motor during the normal wear life. Now, if you tank it in the ground, you it's possible you'll break the shaft or break it completely off in the case of uh, the foamy um, bird of time. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, that kind of stuff, like damage from outside stuff, or maybe you get um, you get it in the dirt and a bunch of grit gets in there. Um, one of the things that we were talking about um, the, were the difference between like brushless motors and good brushless motors is that distance between because the magnetic field forces are uh, I think it's uh, it's at least an exponential decay with distance if not more um, which means that uh, it drops off incredibly fast with distance so the closer you can get the permanent magnet to the stator core the better and the way you can kind of tell if a, if it's a good quality motor is if you try and turn cuz you can you should be able to spin the 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 bell of the brushless motor and if it, it should spin but if it almost like kind of click 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 and it's not like out of grit or something that's stuck between the two um that means that the magnet and the stator are so close together um that the the permanent magnet is actually creating a small magnetic field on the stator itself, and they're mm. they're trying to keep together, which means they're they're awful close. Um, that also means though that the power transfer is going to be incredibly efficient when your motor system is working. So that's a higher quality motor. Is okay. something uh, I thought you were leading the other direction with that because I was like, wait a minute. Now when I grab my motor and turn it, I feel yeah. that da 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 you know, when I rotate that yeah. motor. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's a good, that's generally a very good motor. And okay. I'm not saying that if yours spins somewhat freely, it should spin. You should be able to take the propeller and kind of spin it. Like I've got one right here. And if it if it spins, that's good. I mean, it should. That means that uh, there's no grid or anything in it. There's um, no physical contact gum, itself. Right, and, and it's not, there's nothing gumming it up. Mm-hmm. Um, like a piece of grass or something that somehow got in there. Um, How hard did you tank it? Uh, well, remember it's a 10 foot wing, uh, running a 10 inch prop. So when I tanked in the nose, I guess the propeller dug in like, uh, like I was trying to dig a latrine and, oh, nice. and, and then the, the plane also hit the wing at the same time. So it started a cartwheel. So as the plane started to rotate over the nose, the propeller itself was dug into the ground solid. So it wasn't going anywhere, I guess. And so that 10-foot moment arm of the plane cartwheeling um, was too much for the 3-millimeter diameter shaft or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. 
and so it just completely Shoot busted it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was impressive. I've never seen it before. It's tremendous. Um, Write that one down in the books. <laughs> I, well, let's just say I brought it out, and the guy who he actually was helping me, and he's like, "Oh, I have a bird of time. These things are great. Uh, you're, uh, it's a little windy, so it might be a rough start." So we did it. It was clearly a rough start. Um, and yeah, he looked at it when I brought it back. He's like, "Oh, I haven't seen one of those in a long time." <laughs> that kind of failure. <laughs> so it's not common, um, but just know that you know crashes are potentially going to cause a, an issue. Um, so one of the things that I thought was interesting is this article covered, um, heat, right? Everybody's like, oh man, that motor's running hot. Right. And again, that's where we talked about it's being generated by, uh, potentially inefficiencies in the layers. And it could be that the, the voltage going through is too high or the current that's running through is too much or it's And there's always going to be some heat generated. Right. It says, but... And one of the interesting things that the neodymium magnets, uh, that they only operate, they only remain magnetic up to a certain temperature. And the temperature is 85 degrees Celsius. And that they won't have any problem. And they start to demagnetize above 150 degrees, which I thought was interesting. So you're sitting there going, oh, I should be able to, you know, uh, it's no big deal if I heat up the motor, right? It's like, well, it could be because if you demagnetize your, your magnets, your you're not going anywhere you ruined your motor yeah yeah exactly um and so typically outside you're never really going to reach much over 70 degrees if the motor's running like it should um Mm -hmm. uh, actually after a motor's run the recommendation is that you should be able to touch the motor casing with a fingertip for two to three seconds without getting burned and usually there's almost never any worry about the copper coating. A lot of, so the, the wire that's going around the stators um, is a coated wire. It's a, it looks just copper, but it, there's a coating on it. And that mm-hmm. coating doesn't degrade until the heat is uh, 210 degrees Celsius. Okay. So, so you're going to have your magnets demagnetized before the copper coating goes. So keep that in mind. Whenever it's like, oh, it's a copper coating, it's ruined everything. Like, oh, chances are no. Um, and one of the other things that I thought was interesting, and I hope I described this accurately, um, it's the number, sometimes motors are, some of the older motors, especially um, when you're looking at uh, RC car motors, this is how they've been done for a long time, is they're described as the number of turns. Right. Oh, I got a 13 turn motor. It's amazing. Right. And so you'll see like that set of numbers, which may or may not make any sense. And then there'll be a hyphen or a space or dash or something. And they'll say 13 T and that's referring to 13 turns. And that basically is saying that there are 13 turns around each stator before the wire is done for each phase. Okay. Which means that's that much so what happens is the smaller number of turns means it has a higher torque. So lower T, higher torque. It's more efficient because there's less wire. There's less resistance. Because it, the, the, the electricity going through the wire is still generating the field. Um, and so when you have a higher turn motor, it's going around a lot more. And what ends up happening is there's more resistance to the wi- flow through the wire and it reduces the amount of, amount of torque. 
again, that's what I'm, as I understand it, that's how it is. Now, if I'm wrong, please email us, uh, aviationrcnoob at gmail.com. Let, let me know how I got it wrong, because that's one of those ones. I tried to figure it out, and it, the descriptions were primitive at best. Um, yep. It just the, says, the, well, one's the inverse of the other. And it's like, well, okay, but why? Like, why? And the best thing that I found was that because the wire's longer, there's more resistance. The The only thing I'm saying, I just, I did a real quick search real quick because I didn't think mm -hmm. we were actually going to cover turns because uh, mm -hmm. I didn't have I any information I on it. I didn't want to um, get the main smudge. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only, the, like a real quick reference I'm seeing is fewer turns is higher KV. Don't ask me why. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. More, did I get the inverse? Did I get it back? Yeah, you, you you flipped it. Sorry. That that's okay. Fewer, I apologize to you turns. and all the listeners. <laughs> fewer turns is higher KV or higher RPM per volt. Uh, yes. And higher turn count is lower KV, but uh, assumed to be a, a higher torque. So okay, yeah. Fewer poles give higher motor RPM. Sorry, I got it backwards. It's okay. Um, I'm so cannot sorry. tell you why that's the case. Uh, again, the only the only reason I found was that the amount of resistance. I guess so. The higher no, that doesn't. I guess the higher turn means that there's more resistance. So the opposite of what I said, because there's less resistance or more resistance because it's longer. The uh, it can't achieve the it can't achieve the flux fast enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it could be that the higher turn count is inducing stronger, uh, stronger magnetic fields within the stator or armature, um, creating a higher on, torque. Right, thus a stronger field to act in the magnetic field. But as a side effect of that. The eddy currents are that much stronger, so it's that much harder to overcome them. So the motor do doesn't so have fast. The, the response to get up to speed, whereas sense. fewer turns is not inducing as strong a field. So, so lower torque, but it can run much faster because those fields right. can flip faster. It has a higher force, a rotational force to pull to pull it, but it it can't go as fast. Right, because it's, it's fighting again. It goes back. It, can, to those it can't. Currents. It can't change. It can't change as fast. Okay. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Yep, that makes sense. And that's that's an assumption. Uh, if anybody, no, if you yeah, guys, no, uh, if, yeah. if you guys happen to know, um, write in. Let us know because this is uh this was a part of the top of this conversation, this topic, uh, that neither one of us actually dug that deep into. Um, yeah. We were looking at the other things. We were like turns are just magic so uh. <laughs> yeah that's what it seemed like um okay so thank you for correcting what i got exactly backwards um so whatever <laughs> i said reverse it and you're good um one of the thing one other thing i want to add um is so as you can tell that anything like this there's no commu commutator to automatically change the the flow direction of the current Right, mm -hmm. so it's all done elect electrically. What happens is 
is the one thing that is a common error <clears throat> is oftentimes you get your speed controller and you get your motors and there's a just a a bunch of uncapped wires. There's wires with little bare ends that are pre-soldered for your ease. And they send a bunch of bullets. So you've got to solder your bullets onto the end of the wire and you've got to solder the receiver piece on the end of the SC and you connect them. You, you protect them electrically and all that stuff so they don't mm-hmm. short out between. Because if the two any of the phases connect, it shorts out and, and comes back in. And now you've basically shorted out your battery uh, effectively and you're going to burn out your, your components in the ESC immediately. Um, so don't, don't cross the wires. Um, but more importantly, if that solder connection isn't good, you're, you're creating basically a discontinuity and electrical flow. And as the timing is on the order of like picoseconds or nanoseconds or whatever, it's, it's incredibly small portion of a second. If there's a discontinuity in that, what you're doing is now you're throwing off which pole is being activated. And then you're going to have the, the, the rotation stop and try to go back to whatever pole is now erroneously activated. Mm-hmm. And then, and it's going to, and, but maybe, maybe it fixes that short. So everything's running like you, like it's supposed to, which means now instead of going, um, one, two, three, it's going one, two, three, two, three, one, two, three, two, three, and it's off. And what happens is it'll stutter. So if you see a connection that's bad, if it's stuttering, it means there's it most likely means that there's a connection bad. And oftentimes it's soldering. And if it's me, it's most definitely soldering. <laughs> <laughs> because up until recently, I had the worst soldering gun, um, soldering iron, and I. I need to go back through all those joints again and just kind of reflow the solder with some flux. But anyway, point is, is if that's an issue, and that's a, something you'll commonly see in a motor, you, you plug it in, you try to get it going, and it'll, go, er, 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 it'll stutter back and forth. Um, if it's doing that, it's likely worth going back and reflowing your solder in each of those uh, bullet, the the wire to the bullet connection. Okay. Let's see. I think that's about it. Uh, and there's, when you get into like a crazy um, high-end motors, you're you're starting to get into things that have sensors. So you're mm-hmm. having a, a brushed motor that has a sensor and that sensor talks to the speed controller and tells the speed controller how far ahead or behind the motor is to the timing it's sending out which means it can then correct for the lag or and effectively create create an advance so that the motor can appropriately meet what it's trying to do. So it's sending out signals so that the motor can reach a certain speed. But because of the flux and and in the plates and the stator plates it's trying to it's going to hesitate a little right we talked about that mm-hmm. <clears throat> so the sensor will detect that there's that's the, there's a gap it'll measure the gap and it'll send that back to the speed controller the speed controller will then adjust the timing loop ahead so that it matches what it wants to do and it so it adjusts for the lag and makes your motor do the true time 
because it recognizes that what it's sending out originally was inaccurate and lagging and thereby or at, advances or at the least timing. inefficient inefficient right and then it advances the timing so not unlike advancing your distributor or adjusting your distributor cap yep to yeah and this is older yep. motors but not okay. not unlike adjusting the the spark plug spark in relation mm. to top dead center on your motor, right? To to account or adjust for the natural tendency of the components to be a slightly off. Yeah, that I have experience with. <laughs> right. So you're... I have I have hooked up a timing light to my old Volkswagen. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. So. Uh, um, so that's, and I'm not going to get into too much because I don't have any timing censored motors and I don't have any ESCs that do that either. That's when you, I mean, when you start getting into the giant class stuff where it's like a 10 foot plane and that's the, the average wing size. Um, mm -hmm. now you're starting to get into motors that need to adjust for that timing and, and the, the plane itself, the overall cost put into the motor and into the components and into the actual aircraft itself starts warranting that extra safety factor mm -hmm. where it's worth getting that extra little uh, boost in performance. So, and again, that's something I don't know anything about because I am all about the foamies. And <laughs> uh, I, if it's a 10 inch, if it's a 10 foot uh, wingspan, it's because it's still only two pounds. And I'm running it on some ridiculously small motor that it shouldn't even work with. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so that's that's what I've got. Uh, I, I know I didn't really cover the components too much, but the components are almost in many ways identical to brushed motors. They're just arranged essentially opposite. Yeah. <clears throat> and and um, the only difference is that they, they there's no physical connection mm -hmm. uh, for for electric transfer to to power the coils that generate the electric field the, the magnetic fields that's that's the big difference and then that all that kind of stuff instead of happening in the motor almost automatically it it gets pushed out to electronic components bef that control the power that goes to the motor and where what coil right okay Whew. Um, yeah. Oh boy. That was, um, that was a big one. Yeah. That was a big one. Um, yeah. obviously I don't think we're going to, we're just not going to be able to do ESCs in this episode. No, um, that's okay. <laughs> we don't. Oh, it, it, go ahead. Uh, be, before I go, there's one last thing. Um, okay. w one of the things that, um, remember power or is measured in Watts. Okay. And mm -hmm. Watts is basically the voltage. So the energy coming from the battery times the amount, how fast it comes out, which is the amperage uh, or the flow. And so, um, so typically most motors that we use in these little foamies are maybe a three cell lipo. So that's around 10, 11 volts times. And they're typically run 25 amps, right? We use a 30 amp ESC. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's its capacity, but we never really want to run it to that. Cause if it does, it's likely to burn out the components and then you're in trouble and you have a plane with nothing, uh, powering it. <clears throat> uh, so what you, 
what you have is you, you want to run a little bit underneath. So now you've got 10 volts, 25 amps, you have a 250 watt motor. Okay. So okay. what does that mean to, to me? And oh, so if you're an old, uh, old head and you've been doing this for a while, almost all the motors were rated in watts or horsepower, which they quickly converted to watts. Um, depending on if you're using nitros or electric back in the day, what you're trying to do is find something that made sense. So a lot right. of the people say that there's a guide to choosing the motor size based on the kind of plane you want. The guide, the rough guide is you want a hundred Watts per pound. Okay. For a rough, like kind of a sport flying experience. So what, if you have a 250 watt motor, uh, what you're going to have is you, you, it'll, pretty much pull a two and a half pound plane around the air. Okay. Um, and then some of the other guides and, and we'll post this uh, little, little guide image here. And it's basically, if you want, if you have a glider or you're doing a slow flyer, it's going to be 30 to 60 Watts. And that's maybe like a, a biplane. It's real simple and super light. So 30 to 60 Watts per pound, uh, trainer planes and basic scaling flying is 60 to 75 watts per pound. Um, so that would be like a four pound trainer, a 250 okay. watt setup would do, um, or maybe some scale flying, uh, like if you have a warbird maybe. Um, sport flying, so that's where you're gonna start doing acrobatics and you're gonna wanna be able to do a full throttle climb out or something like that, or improved climbing because it's a little bit sluggish. Uh, that's gonna be 75 to 100 watts per pound. So as you can see, like as, as the power level goes up, you're going to be able to do far more stuff with it. Next is limited 3D performance, where you're basically hovering in the craft right in the air. So your thrust has to be equal to the amount of weight if you want to do a hover, right? And then, of okay. course, you want a little bit more because you want to be able to pull out of that in case something goes wrong. Mm. And you want enough of it where you can get out quick. So, um, so they recommend 100 to 150 watts per pound. So again. Uh, and then last, if you're doing full 3D and tons of pattern acrobatics, that's 150 to 200. So we're looking at almost four times the amount you would use in a trainer, maybe, or th three and a half uh, to do 3D flying. So it's your motor choice is a mixture of the plane you're playing to fly and how you're playing to fly. Exactly. Okay. Um, if you're flying flight test stuff, or even if you're not, if you're flying uh, ready-to-fly stuff, or you have a kit, um, one of the things you're going to see the size of the plane itself. It'll have a wingspan, right? Um, mm -hmm. And w part of it, it'll say running on a certain size prop. Like, it'll say use an 8-inch prop or a 10-inch prop or a certain size fan or something. When you're buying that kit, look at the size of a prevalent of the propeller it'll also recommend probably a wattage for the motor um and then kind of look at those when you're looking at the motor that you're going to buy for that kit keep those values in mind the, the aimed wattage you're aiming for and the propeller you're going to use and make sure that your motor will match those remember if you overpower the motor you're basically going to run it incredibly inefficiency efficiently if you're running it too low most motors run most efficiently at about 75 to 80% throttle. Mm -hmm. 
and you can look at some of the motors that will have like whole throttle curves. They have like on a three cell thing with a five inch propeller with a four inch, uh, a four inch, uh, what is that? The bite? What did I say it was? Oh my God, I'm pitch. The pitch, thank you. Uh, a five by you. four prop, it'll say, hey, at 10%, you're going to pull 10 amps at 30% throttle. You're going to pull 15 at, you know, and it'll go through the throttle range and it'll just tell you how many amps you're pulling. It'll give you a bench tested thrust, which isn't so static. It'll be a static thrust. It means that nothing's moving. It's going to be pulling with this much force, right? Um, which you can use to figure out kind of how, how you're playing you know, what kind of flying capacity you want your plane to be. Most planes run at like almost a one-to-one or a one-and-a-half to one. So your thrust should be about as much as your plane weighs, if not mm-hmm. a little bit more. Um, but depending, you know, maybe you have a glider, you don't need as much. Um, right. Anyway, you're going to look at those throttle curves, and you'll see that, and then it'll have uh, basically the amount of thrust per per gram of motor or per amperage. And it's basically a measure of efficiency. And you'll see that the maximum efficiency on most motors is somewhere around 70 to 80% throttle. Okay. Um, So oversizing a motor, because you think you're, I'm going to do it, it's going to be great. What happens is you have your throttle much lower and it's not as efficient, which means you're burning through battery faster than you could. Okay. Uh, like you're you're using more watts than you'd initially have to. Right, because you're running your throttle low, which is not a sufficiency point. Right. So you're burning more current than you really need to be for flying at that speed. Exactly. I got you. Yep. Okay. That's it. Okay, I think that covered right. everything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cut the motor conversation there. <laughs> <sighs> that was, um... That's a lot to go over. <laughs> It is. I don't. Um, yes. Yes. And we have a lot. Uh, and I, I feel like the ESC talk is less, but it's just as detailed. There's a lot of background in it because you have to talk yeah. about protocols and sort of. And and the reason why you have to talk about it is because when you're buying an ESC, okay, well, this one says it's Simon K. This one is BL Heli. This one is BL Heli S. This one is BL Heli S D shot 1500. I just want a 30 amp motor, but all that, all that, um, like we don't need it. But at the same point, when you're purchasing a speed controller, it's helpful to know what that is. So, you know, not to get it if that's not what you want. All right. So with all, all that covered and that was a lot guys for the, for anyone who's still with us and still tuned in and still listening. Thank you. Thank um, you. I agree. Like, it it was a long it was a long haul for us too. Uh we appreciate you hanging out with us. And if you have questions, um, you know, about anything that we covered, uh feel free to, to write us in or write in to us, uh aviationrcnoob at gmail dot com. Um you know. Yeah. We'll we'll be happy to answer what oh. we can. Okay. Go hey ahead, that room. That reminds us, uh, reminds me of something. I don't know if you're going to get to it. I probably should have just been patient. Um, is, uh, hey, it, we, we, I remember early on, we kind of said, hey, if you send an email in, um, 
let us know if you want us to use it on the air. And I know we've been talking about possibly changing that uh, default. Right. So some of the feedback that I, that we received, um, and it was sort of a one-on-one conversation through email that I was having uh, with someone was uh, perhaps we should change that policy such that, you know, we, you know, we can more willingly or more readily um, answer questions uh, in these podcasts without somebody having to specifically say. And then if somebody doesn't want something they write in, uh, read on the air, or uh, we say, mm, that might be a little too personal to, that maybe they don't want that on the air. But, you know, at this point, we'll, we'll flip the policy on that one. And at the beginning of our next episode, we'll discuss it again briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you write in, you know, write in a question, we may answer it in the next episode. Uh, feel free to. And, write in. Um, you might be on the air with us. Yeah, provide feedback. Um, let us know your thoughts. This is certainly, uh, I'd have to think, but I'm pretty sure this is our longest episode so far. Uh, yes. And there was a lot, a lot of stuff to dig into. Matthew, I know that you had received feedback as we were uh, still coming up with a concept for this and what topics we wanted to cover in some of the early episodes, you know, guys you were talking with on the side was mm-hmm. go in as deep as you can go. All right. right. Well, they said, go as, go as far as you're comfortable going. And I, I, and I, I felt what they were getting at because when I was new getting into this, I'll tell you what, my favorite episodes for, of any podcast to listen to were the guys going so deep into the technical stuff. I was stretching my my brain and having to ask my electrical engineer coworkers, what the heck are they talking about? Um, right. Because I wanted to know, like it, I felt this is, this is super important to me understanding how to be, uh, I guess, fluent in the hobby and mm-hmm. to, to really just have a lot of fun with it instead of being, let me buy a plane and see if I can fly it. It goes to, Ooh, I have a great idea. I want to turn into a flying plane and having the knowledge behind it to be able to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And we said this podcast, we hope would be the documentation of our journeys. <laughs> and part of that journey is learning. Uh, I learned a lot just prepping for this episode. So you um, did a great job too. Thank you. Well, as, as did you, thank you. Um, so yeah, feel free to write us, let us know your thoughts. Was it too long? Was it too deep? Um, you know, what are your thoughts? If you're even still listening with us at this point, hope you are. And if you are, thank you. Um, but yeah, we've got uh, we've got more to- uh, topics on the list that we're going to be getting into in the near future. Uh, ESCs are next, as I recall. Mm-hmm. Yep, and uh, batteries. This episode. Yep, yep, batteries. If we can, uh, if we can muster uh, some knowledge together for that, that is by far to me. Uh, a dangerous topic, yet an incredibly important one. Uh, and by dangerous, I mean I don't I don't want to mislead anybody, um, yeah, at all because it's um, lipos are incredibly safe in general. The problem is is if they go wrong, they can go wrong enough to burn your house down. Um, yeah. It does again. It's really rare, but at the same point, if you're not taking the right precautions, and I tell you the wrong thing, or Joe tells you the wrong thing, I, I don't. I definitely don't want you to be at risk. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's really important that while we're doing that part, we're getting it right. But the sooner you know about it, the safer you can be. So um, 
I'm excited to get into it. And if you ever hear us, you know, bring us some information that uh, that's false or not completely accurate, let us know. We can correct it in the next episode before we get into all the good stuff. But, or just uh, just let us know how we're doing. We'd love to hear it. Uh, it's certainly encouraging. Thank you. It is. Uh, and with that, Matthew, let's go ahead and uh, wrap it up. I think we covered all the uh, the personal things we need to on the front end of this episode. So. Okay. Give us uh, your closing thoughts. Absolutely. My closing thoughts are, uh, if you don't remember the email, it's aviationrcnoob at gmail.com. Um, my name is Matt. I love this hobby. And remember, if you're not laughing and having fun, you might be doing it wrong. Very well. All right, guys. Take care. Take care.